Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and landed at episode number 179. And there are two kinds of people in this world. Tennis players and cricket players. Which one are you? I'm Keith. I'm a tennis player. I'm Sean. I don't play either. <laughs> I don't uh, understand what cr- enough about cricket. You're a spectator. <laughs> I'm a spectator. <laughs> Happy to watch either or neither. Likely neither. <laughs> Actually, I like to watch cricket sometimes. It's televised it is sometimes. Me. Is it? When ESPN's really desperate. Oh, you know, I don't. I'll do show. I don't think I have enough cable for to get any sort of ESPN oh. that would play cricket. ESPN UK. <laughs> yeah. This is probably one of those upper echelon tiers that I don't subscribe to. How are you guys? Did you have a good week? I did. Have a good week. I did. What'd you guys do? Anything cool? Uh, we got a new mattress, <laughs> Huzzah! Oh. which is huge for Holly because her back's been really, 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 really been bad lately. So we got that and they delivered it on Saturday and we slept on it first time last night and I slept so good <laughs> that I kept waking up because I was laying on parts of my body too long. Like my arm, oh, I woke up one yeah. time and it was sore because I had laid on it for so long because I was sleeping so soundly. I woke up one time, my whole hand was numb. I thought it's this the is, numbness that it's I like the, it's the It's like the opposite effect. You get a new mattress and you sleep better, you're supposed to wake up refreshed in the morning. But I kept waking up because I was sleeping too well that I wouldn't move. I'd just lay in that same position, apparently, for so long. We can put a couple of rocks underneath your side and <laughs> even, even it out. just a pee. Or just a pee. So, but gosh, you know, this was the first. I, her back was minimally better, but she's just been so long. Plus, she's she That's probably re- going to be a long term process. She re aggravates it too. Plus, she bought new shoes today, so that should help as well. Um, but yeah, I could tell that the mattress is much better than ours because I woke up this morning and I usually have a little bit of back pain. I had no back pain this morning, so. That's actually on the docket for Mel and myself. We're, we're actually filing a claim for our mattress because it was supposed to be guaranteed up through so many years, and it didn't make it. So huh. we're waiting on the official, yes, we, we owe you a new mattress. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? Oh, yeah, Holly and I went and had we, – the kids went to a movie with uh, Ron and well, uh, their grand, granddad and step-grandmother. And so Holly and I went and had a nice lunch together at El Maguey and – did a little shopping. El, El McGuire, it's in the Target shopping center. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's how you say it. I have no idea. M U G U A Y. I've never eaten there. Is it good? I, yeah, we like it a lot. Um, we were going to go look at cell phones again today, but we didn't. I was trying to chop around for better plans, but other than that, that's it. I don't. I mean, I'm not doing anything spectacular this week. Didn't see anything movie wise this week. Nope. We did a tweet along to Captain America on Monday. How'd that go? That was fun. Uh, it was Brittany, Sarah, and Chrissy, and I tweeted on. I forget how good that movie is. It's just one that I don't think about very often. And then when I watch it, I'm always impressed. It's such a good movie. Yeah. I still think I like Winter Soldier better, but 
the first one is it's solid. Uh, and then I also watched uh, World's End finally. Yeah, I loved it because <laughs> I I've always been on the fence of I absolutely love Shaun of the Dead and was kind of mad on Hot Fuzz. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as good. This returned to the quality I thought in storytelling and just in uh, the humor aspect of it. And watching some of the bonus features on the Blu-ray, it kind of makes more sense. Because with Shaun of the Dead, they just they wanted to make a zombie movie, and they just happened to make it funny. When they made Hot Fuzz, they made it trying to be more funny, because they knew they couldn't do a serious action film. World's End goes back to that, they just wanted to make a good movie, and there just happened to be funny bits in it. According to Edgar Wright, in his description of making it. I think he's pandering to fans like you who didn't like Hot Fuzz because I think Hot Fuzz is the best of all three of them. I need to and I back, love Shaun of the Dead. I need to go I back and rewatch Hot Fuzz. But I, I absolutely loved The World's End. So good. I'm ashamed that it took me so long to see it. <laughs> Do you watch That's it on funny. your end or watch with you? I'll watch it on my own. It's funny that I come down on the side that I absolutely loved Shaun of the Dead and I think that was the only one I liked. <laughs> Hot Fuzz had its moments, but... And World's End started out pretty good, but for, World's End tries too hard to be serious, I think. I don't think it had enough funny to it. So. See, I, I think I laugh quite a bit in it. But, think, then, but then Shaun of the Dead also started off very funny and went very serious near the end, too. Yeah. So There's there's a good but see, 40 minutes there where Shaun of the Dead's not funny at all. I didn't yeah. feel... That's just it. I didn't feel... Maybe, oh, World's it might end, have been more paced out in Shaun of the Dead. I, I didn't feel World's End was light enough at first. It just, it went, it just went... It went off and running heavy and didn't have enough humor in it. See, I think I think World's End is the is the weakest of the three, but I still enjoy it, and I, I like the and maybe oh, it's, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I, it's a fine movie. Maybe, just, maybe it's the subterfuge of of the filmmaker that you, you look at this group of guys that get together and they make Shaun of the Dead, and it's just a bunch of guys screwing up making a movie, and then they get a little more proficient at it with 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 Hot Fuzz, and maybe they know what they're doing now. And they get the same group of guys together with World's End. And just, for me, there were a lot of parallels. This group of friends oh. who has been together forever going to accomplish this epic pub crawl is very much like this epic group of friends who have been together in real life trying to make that one last movie. That just It just it just felt like, and there's always the one guy who's screwing it up. And the one guy, and I mean, I'm sorry, it's us. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what I saw when I was like, this is so something that Dave and well, Glenn I, and Keith and I would get together and do. And, I also really like the the shift of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's characters yeah. between Hot or between uh, World's End and uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. They're so they're they literally just switch roles, and I, yeah. I thought that was a really clever way to do it. It was. It was really cool, and it really makes me wish that Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, had a Bond in it. It's the only one that doesn't have a Bond in it. Oh, you're right. I I saw Pierce Brosnan, and I started racking my brain thinking, was there a previous Bond and Sean of the Dead and was disappointed to find out there wasn't. Hmm. That was a squee-inducing moment, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh and, then the, and then the voice at the end was quite... I was wondering when he was going <laughs> to pop up. <laughs> and there wasn't as many familiar faces, I thought, aside from unless you watch Spaced, the one pub owner uh, was the neighbor. And then other than that... Uh, my cousin is moving to Louisiana, so we had dinner with her and got a desk on accident. I, I see your of. desk. Yeah, it's a nice desk. And had a very lazy day today. Uh, watched the Social Network, which I had never seen, which I hadn't seen before. You hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? It was pretty good. It's 
there are oh, there I can name on one hand as many biopics that I absolutely love that I want to own and watch again and again. And that was one of them. It was a good movie. It was very solidly written, very solidly acted, very solidly directed. Just yeah, okay. I don't know. There's a lot of replay value to it, yeah. but it's it, it is definitely. Jesse Eisenberg did a really movie. good job. Andrew Garfield did a really good job. Aaron Sorkin did a really good job in his cameo, <laughs> which was nice. Because I've also been watching a lot of West Wing, and been playing a little bit Tomb Raider too. So pretty low key week. Sean, what'd you do? I caught up on a whole bunch of movie watching. Um, Mel and I had a, a, a bad movie double feature night where we watched Godzilla 2000 which is not a bad movie at all it's an awesome movie I <laughs> love Godzilla 2000 yeah. um, which if you're not familiar is Godzilla versus a UFO <laughs> it's just like yeah okay more of this um, it's almost like Toho felt like they needed to watch the Matthew Broderick one out of everybody's mouth <laughs> that, was, that was the idea yeah. yeah, that was totally the motivation we're going to rush this into production mm-hmm. and get this one this done exactly what it was and it works it's such a mm-hmm. uh, you know it's great effects for a Godzilla film oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff in there is that the one where his back spikes are even more pronounced yeah I think yeah. it was uh, Roger Ebert that said this is what the uh, Roland Emmerich version should have been yeah I mean he essentially said that which is High marks for a Toho film. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny because we uh, we've kind of been on this Godzilla kick at work, and James made the comment because we were discussing the new film. He finally went and saw it, and he he said that you know the new Godzilla not only it was a great action flick that I enjoyed so much, but he said it kind of restored my faith in our ability to make good action flicks because I was really worried for a long time that there was just nothing good coming out. And he says this guy just did, a, and the fact that he's now going to do a Star Wars film. Oh yeah, more of this. But um, have we, you watched Monsters? I haven't, but James watched it and he said it was really we good. Didn't. Okay, it's been in my instant queue forever. I've been meaning to watch it, and that was before I even knew he was going to do a Godzilla movie. So what's Monsters? It's his directorial debut. Oh, is that right? What's it about? Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a post-apocalyptic world where Thank monsters <laughs> uh, end up. Like, James's encapsulated <laughs> review was that it's not nearly as much of a it's 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 an indie sci-fi flick, so you don't get nearly the visual effects stuff that you would think. But instead, it's all built on the characterizations and the reactions to what's going on. And Six years after a, Earth has suffered an alien invasion, a cynical journalist agrees to escort a shaken American tourist through an infected zone in Mexico to the safety of the U.S. border. But he said, he said it was good. They're apparently making a sequel, from what I understand. Really? I prefer, I'd prefer those. I, I'd rather almost not see the spectacle anymore. I'd like to see the re- reaction. It almost yeah. comes across a little bit as a more genuine. 28 Days Later with Monsters. The but feel we, of it. We watched that, and then we finally sat down and watched Iron Sky. Uh, <laughs> what's Iron Sky? Moon Nazis. Moon Nazis. Not Nazis were losing the war, so they retreated to the moon, and they've been living on the moon ever since. How was that? Last year. Oh, that yeah, recent. Yeah, it's it's a pretty yeah twenty twelve oh, Lord. But it, it's it's done in that this looks epically bad, like on purpose kind of way. Yeah. And it's kind of been on my peripheral for a while. It's like I really just need to sit down and watch this. So we've we, we've had it in the instant queue forever. Was it done perfectly? I mean, was it done purposefully that bad? <laughs> well, yes and no. Here's Look the here. here's the thing. It's there's about twenty five minutes of raging awesomeness <laughs> in this movie. Twenty five minutes of raging surrounded awesome. by an hour and a half of. Ugh, I just don't care. 
it, 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 it's done in that kind of on-purpose bad, but they're so busy pointing out to you, hey, look, did you see what we did there? <laughs> Playing it tongue-in-cheek, that unlike Flash Gordon, which is tongue-in-cheek, but takes itself seriously right this one but you know flash never calls attention to the fact that they're doing it on purpose right. it just is this one keeps trying to make you go there with uh. this and you know they're, they're, like i said the, the toward the end of the film they finally get around to invading and so we've got nazi flying saucers and big gigantic space zeppelins and they're towing <coughs> chunks of moon rock which they then hurdle at the earth. That's the Blitzkrieg. Wow. And it's like, this is awesome! Why couldn't you have done this for the last hour and a half? This would have been the greatest <laughs> film ever made! And anytime somebody, and you know, of course, there's you know, a homeless guy on the street screaming, the moon Nazis are coming! you got to believe it! You know, this was great. Instead, we get an hour and a half of them coming to earth and, you know, meeting up with the president's um, image advisor and taking this image of the party bringing you peace and love and all we're all part of the same thing and so they the, this president who's kind of this direct ripoff of Sarah Palin if she had won because she's got stuffed moose in her office I mean it's just and she's obnoxious all the characters are dislikable all the characters are bad there's, there's nobody to root for in this film at all and so you're just sitting here plodding through this going when is this going to get good and we, we had to stop at about an hour in for something and Mel's like well what do you think and I'm like I, I'm torn. I want to keep going to see if it gets better, but at this point I could turn it off and kind of just be frustrated that I wasted an hour of my life <laughs> because there's so much potential here. So we finally decided to press on, and I'm glad I did because, like I said, it it started to turn around there at the end. But it just what it, what's it's, you know oh, if no. if you want to boot it up on Netflix, skip to about an hour forty <laughs> and watch it's that. On Netflix? Yeah. That part's great. I mean, like we, they send up the spaceship to go fight the, 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 you know, and they're like, "Well, how are we going to do that?" And it's like, "Well, we armed our spaceship." So immediately, the World Council is upset at the Americans because you're not supposed to arm your spaceships, and you're like, "Yeah, but we lied. That's what we do." <laughs> so then it turns out all the rest of the nations of the world have spaceships that are armed as well, and they've been lying to us. I mean, it's, there was some really good stuff here, but just everything else about it was not fun. That's too bad. And it was so frustrating. I just, it just, it really, really depressed me. <laughs> and the more I thought, this is one of those films, the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. Because the, the, lead, the lead guy, he, his girlfriend, she's the earthologist who's the expert on all things earth. And he's trying to tell her, well, you need to give up your career because you're going to be the mother of the Aryan race. You need to pop out babies. And, you know, we're going to do this and this and this. And I'm going to be the next Fuhrer and blah, blah, blah. He's a dislikable character. And she's like, well, what about my career? And he goes, well, it's not important. You need to stay home and have babies. So you're supposed to be like, ah, oh, I don't like this guy. Well, ultimately, she doesn't know anything about Earth. Everything she knows is way wrong. I mean, she's using like a 10-minute clip of The Great Dictator to show how great Hitler was. Not realizing the film runs two and a half hours, and it's Charlie Chaplin making fun of Hitler. <laughs> so pretty much everything about your career is worthless, and this guy's right. I don't want to side with him. <laughs> So it's that kind of frustration, you know. But um, so there was that, and then we watched the new RoboCop, which actually releases on Tuesday. How was it? Um, I have to be careful how I say this. Mel was not enamored with it. Mel is a much bigger fan of the original Paul Verhoeven RoboCop than I am. I like RoboCop for what it is. I think this one's a fine action movie. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think that of all of the it's remakes, Michael Keaton's in it, isn't it? It could be. Yeah. 
I think of all of the remakes that have been done, uh, the Red Dawns and the Clash of the Titans and the Total Recalls and all, this is definitely far and away the best remake we've gotten out of something. I still don't know that it was needed, but you know, it was an enjoyable action flick. Now, I think they did a little bit of stunt casting because of the fact that Michael Keaton's in it and Samuel L. Jackson's in it and Gary Oldman's in it, and it's just. It's almost like they knew going into it, well, we're remaking RoboCop. We better put some star power in this so that people will have a reason to watch yeah, the movie. Yeah. But, um, That's what I kind of always thought from the trailers. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, you got these people so it doesn't look like you're just... They did, they did a lot of it right. I mean, it's he, he still has that square turn, you know, bit. And, and the guy did a really good job with it. How long is he... Does he start off silver and then they paint him yeah. black? Should have been reverse. Yeah, I and and they make, I, I didn't like the black. It's, it, I didn't like the black suit either because it looks very much like Batman, and it's almost a joke because Michael Keaton at one point says, "Well, make him more tactical. Let's go black." You know, and it's like, oh, okay, we're gonna do it. But <laughs> so um, they had that bit in the trailer to appease fans. Why is this guy black? Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they make a joke out of the silver because the 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 image consultant played by Jay Burchnell of all people. <laughs> He was another person that was in it. Oh, yeah, I did see that. He, he's showing them images of, here's the guy in the silver suit, and he says, well, we showed it to prison inmates, and 98% of them were scared of it. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a fun movie. I mean, I, I couldn't complain. I, I enjoyed it. I just, you know, no, it wasn't RoboCop. It, 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 it took itself very seriously, and it did a good job for taking itself seriously, but I, I think because of that... All of Paul Verhoeven's films have that kind of very biting, sarcastic undertone to them, and this doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So, is that what makes RoboCop RoboCop? That you kind of miss out on that social commentary when you don't have that undertone or not? I don't know, but it was an enjoyable action flick. I liked it. Um, I think that was it. Only caught up on Game of Thrones, so I'm current there. Just in time for a new episode there tonight. Yeah, which we didn't watch, so... <laughs> I uh, so like that guy, the Prince guy. Oberon? Yeah. I, I mean, I liked him from day one. You know, he had me at hello, but it was just <laughs> when he comes in and gives that impassioned speech. And how, how good is Tyrion? Oh, yeah. He is such a good actor. Peter Dinklage is phenomenal. Why isn't he in everything? It should be Peter Dinklage and John Goodman in every movie from this point <laughs> out. And Ernie Hudson. Well, uh, I know. <laughs> a Peter Dinklage and... Uh, John Goodman, buddy film. That, that would be pretty awesome, actually. I told my boss about my, my Shatner Adam West one, Jump Street. Let's make and that. he laughed at Poison. I was like, dude, you've got to write that. You better hurry up, because Shatner's getting old. <laughs> so. Shatner's getting old, so is Adam West. I think Shatner's older. Well, I think he is, too, but I think you've got a limited time <laughs> on both You've got a limited time guys. on that one. So, yeah, that was all we really did this week. There's a poll up on our website to go vote for Battle for the Planet, Planet of the Apes tweet along. So go vote. Saturday. That's one of the options. I know. That's what I voted for. Oh, okay. <laughs> Spoilers. So I voted for that. Find. That's why the one lone vote was on Saturday. Yeah, that's, that's mine. I'd love to partake in one of these. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we move on to food news? News. <laughs> Unfortunately, news. we start off with some sad news. Barbara Murray has passed away at the age of 84. She appeared in, I, I, ironically enough, the Fifth Doctor story, Black Orchid. Why is that ironic? Because we're talking about the Fifth Doctor. Oh, right? oh, I don't think that's what irony means, but yes. <laughs> Coincidentally. Coincidentally. 
coincidentally, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong word. Ironically. No. Coincidentally. <laughs> I do not think that word means what you think it means. So that's sad news. It is sad news. But some not sad news is some Eli Who guests. The fact that Colin Baker and Terry Malloy is now joining the lineup. So Eli Who 2, this time it's personal, will have two doctors, fittingly enough. Colin and Paul, right? Yeah, Paul. So very much a recast of, of last year's galley, which seeing the two of them on stage together was awesome. And if you're going to Eli Who, you need to go to that panel. <laughs> they must have been uh, somewhere this week together. They were down in uh, Houston. Well, they visited uh, yeah. NASA. Because Sylvester was there. They were, I think they were there last weekend. Because Sylvester was there with them, and so was, I think, Peter. I think it was all four. Right? I, I think so. Pictures of Paul and I think the two of them went out and had fun together, but but then Sylvester went up to Indy. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> as we'll get to in some feedback. Yes. Uh, other news: Retro TV, an American network that airs classic shows, has signed a deal with BBC Worldwide to show classic episodes of Doctor Who across the United States. Unfortunately, it doesn't air in Topeka, from what I've seen, but it does air in Wichita. Hmm. So, Wichita now has two options if you have a higher tier channel. Retro TV. See, now, <laughs> while I don't have a problem with it on the horror channel over in <laughs> the UK, Retro TV actually seems to fit a better fit for Doctor Who, it as far as I'm concerned. Because it predominantly airs shows from. Well, it's not going to be on Nick at Night. So. Petticoat Junction, <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies, I Although Spy. it should be. It should be on Nick at Night. Dear Nick at Night, can you please get Doctor Who? TV Land. Why not? Uh, oh, that's right. It's TV Land now, isn't it? They're too busy making well, Nick at Night own. still runs. Well, now Nick at Night is a programming too, block on TV Land. Yeah, no, uh, no, no. Nick at Night is a programming block on Nickelodeon. Oh. TV Land But you're mostly going to find shows day. from the 90s now. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. There's Full House ones, and... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wings. Last time I, I watched like, it. I liked Wings. I did the first two times I saw every episode. <laughs> oh, you were a USA watcher. <laughs> no, I was a Nick at Night. Oh, well, it aired on USA. And reruns I, I, I watched that. Well, that's where I, I think I initially watched Wings was USA when they were in reruns. Well, there you go. Yes, Retro TV, good job. <laughs> and let's hope that other networks decide to pick it up, too. Uh, according to Sylvester McCoy, who was at... You mean Colin? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Colin. <laughs> Who is that? Sylvester Colin? Sylvester Colin. Who's at a convention? Mel decided uh, if we ever have kids that it should be Colin Collins. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> if he was a news announcer, maybe. <laughs> and now the 5 o'clock. I'm Colin Collins. This just in. I, maybe. I can see that. Well, no, I'm not going to do that to my kid. Colin Collins. Colin Collins. For whatever reason, she laughed uproariously over that for like a solid hour. She just thought that was the the funniest name combination ever. It's like Peter Peterson. You can't do this. I knew a guy named Nick Nicholson. Yeah. It just... It happens, though. What parent does this? 
Apparently these parents did. <laughs> uh, he was at Doctor Who Appreciation Society. Who? Colin Baker. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and he's <laughs> <right. laughs> Colin like, Collins? It's like the book of Genesis. <laughs> we threw way too many names at you right off the bat. Uh, the Five-ish Doctor reboot is going to get an official DVD release, according to him. Yay! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That's exciting. An unscheduled special set featuring former Doctor Matt Smith, so we don't really know what that an means. An unscheduled special set. <laughs> uh, we don't know if that's going to be the 50th special edition. I hope so. That would be... Because I've still bought that yet. <laughs> that would be the ideal place to put it. Well, yeah, yeah because it's so only too. 30 minutes. I mean, I, I would be... Wedge it in there among everything else. Yeah. Bonus features, special extra well, disc on the 50th it's, it's, it's also a 50th anniversary special, yeah. so, you know. And way better than Dimensions in Time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of the 50th, uh, Boo. Doctor Who Magazine. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm booing this. The resu- oh. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, let me rephrase. I'm booing the results of this. <laughs> Uh, Doctor Who magazine did a poll for the fifth, or a survey for the first 50 years of the show, of the highest and lowest rated stories, and also the ranking ranking the doctors. Uh, what do we want to start with? Do you want to know the top ten and the bottom ten? Let's go to the bottom ten first. <clears throat> okay. Boo. Coming in at number 232, the Space Museum. Number Aww. yeah, so you know I, I don't. It's not a good. It's not a good. Episode. It's it's not a top. It's not 50, a good episode. It's it's quaint though. It's it, it has enough quaint quality to it that I would raise it up higher than being the. This is the worst, right? This is we're the going, bottom. This 10. is the bottom ten. So this, this is, is ten, nine, eight, seven. Oh, oh yeah. well, well, the, the, no, wait, I'm sorry. So if, if you're so this is not the this worst. is not the no. worst. Oh, okay. This, this is, is ten away worst. from the worst. We're yeah. building to the worst. Right. And, and maybe okay, it's, okay. Maybe, maybe, not, maybe it's just right. a matter of these have to fall somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> I thought this, that was the worst. No, no, no. no, no. no. Uh, Two thirty-three is Rings of Akaten. What? Yeah. Who did this? Uh, Voted by fans. Yeah. Who? But who? Who? What? Uh, Doctor Who Magazine. Doctor Magazine. Yeah. yeah. Fifty-three point four four percent, which is interesting. Uh, when we get to the top ten, it's changed since they've done previous ones. Mm. Rings Akatons, I love that. That's a good That's story. Two thirty-four, the Dominators. Mm. Not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe it belongs in at the yeah, bottom yeah. ten. I, it's that I don't one, think that any one, that one I can see landing there in the mm, bottom ten. I, no, Patrick Crouton deserves to be in the bottom ten. Uh, <laughs> None of them. If it was because just he's so great. If it was just. The Doctor, Jamie, Zoe, and the Quarks. It would have been a much better story. But then when you threw the Dominators in there, the and that, and that worthless, the that, the worthless that worthless group of people they were trying to save. No, the, I, the ones in the, in the, the, the ones they were trying to sell the, the, the curtains. Save. The curtains, yeah, the curtain. Then that kind of just no, that one. No, I, I think what it is. As is much the, as I enjoy, the Quarks Patrick dragged that, the story down. As no, well. no, the Dominators. As much the as I down, like the, the Doctor in that, it does deserve to be down at the bottom. Uh, 235 is the Space Pirates. The Space Pirates. I don't that's think one I've of the missing one. ones. Yeah, it's a missing second yeah. Doctor one also. Doctor Who and the Space Because that's, that's the end of... That just sounds the, like it should be at the bottom of the list. I think that, that's the one that followed up the, cro- uh, the, the Crotons. Uh, <laughs> the Crotons. The Crotons. The Crotons. Uh, 236 is Underworld. 
which we have not reviewed. We've not we have reviewed not that reviewed one, yet. one yet either. I can't honestly say I've seen that either. I don't know that I remember that one. For the longest time, I thought that was the vampire. That's story. a sixth doctor, or uh, not sixth doctor. Fourth That's doctor. a uh, fourth doctor. Fourth doctor and Lilo. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure I've seen that. Two thirty-seven. So now we have reached the five worst. Bottom five. Time flight. Time flight. Time flight. Time Peter flight. Davidson on the Concord. Concord. Yeah, okay. I like the twist on that one. Mm. But is the twist worth the entire story? I mean, yeah, yeah. see that, that honestly of, of of the ones that we've seen so far, that's really the only one that I can one hundred percent say, yeah, that's a bottom ten story for me. His time. Flight. I think Black Orchid belongs on this list more than Time Flight. That's me. Or uh, we'll finish off the list okay. before you start adding ones because now I know now you're going to surprise me because now I know Black Organ's not on there. Two thirty eight time lash, time lash, time lash, time lash. That's, oh, that's six doctors. Colin Baker Perry and right. uh, uh, H G Wells. H G Wells. <laughs> okay. Two thirty nine time in the Ronnie. Totally that's dis- weird. Totally disagree with that one. Uh, and time you know, flight. You guys know I'm not a fan of time in the Ronnie. But I don't think it belongs in the bottom no. ten. No. And it's a third from the worst? No. No, no. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's no, right. No, no, no. no. Time of the Ronnie's not that bad. Uh, I mean, gosh, Delta the Bend. There's, I, there's, I can name a number of <laughs> sixth or seventh Doctor stories that definitely belong in their... 240 is Fear Her. Okay. <laughs> I think that's one we all agree probably belongs. <laughs> one I finally agree with. And I think Glenn will agree with the... Very worst story of Doctor Who. Going to Lima. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which find out what the, I think of it next week. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the top, now, 10, I, I'm guessing how I'm looking at the percentages here is that they just ranked everybody's. That's the number of votes it got. Number of votes that like. I'm assuming you only got one vote to choose the best. Well, I can't imagine anybody voting for Twindalima. Yeah, nobody best. would have voted for Twindalima. But in but it, it, it's in. Lowering percentage points as you go down. So I'm not quite sure how this poll was put together, but that's that's where it, it got. F- <laughs> with 40.18 percent of the vote, four place, 241. I'm guessing it's well, there's, a, there's a good chunk of those that are wrong. <laughs> I, I agree. Well, before we go into the top ten, let's do what, how they rank the doctors. Now, there's an interesting note here for those wondering. Love and Monsters came in 220th place. Out of how many again? I'm sorry. Out of 241. Ah. It came in at 220. That's still pretty bad. Which is far higher than I expected, I expected to see it. I it to be in the t- bottom 10. But not where it belongs either. We'll no. send them back to the so. episode where I convinced you guys. And we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how it comes out next time. Reference episode, Traveling the Vortex episode number, whatever that was. Should <laughs> okay. we count up, doctors? Yeah, that's what I was going to do. Okay, good call. So from ranking number 12, John Hurt. 11 is Colin Baker. Ten is Paul McGann, which I completely do not agree with. He needs to be much higher. Nine, William Hartnell. Eight, Christopher Eccleson. Seven, Sylvester McCoy. Six, Peter Davison. Five, John Pertwee. Four, Patrick Troughton. And then you can guess the top three. David Tennant, Matt Smith, Tom Baker. Oh, Tom got number one again. Yes. <laughs> He Which is interesting. He bounces back and forth between him and, D- and David Tennant. Although but David, but Matt came along yeah. and kind of threw that old. Which the last time I saw <laughs> a ranking of the poll before the 50th, Matt was in the top and Tom dropped down, I think. That's yeah. tough, though, to do that, especially even if you're asking fans, because people are going to go, well, of course, William, 
Hurd, who did a or John Hurd, who did a phenomenal job <laughs> as the doctor. We can, we he can only got one outing, yeah. so you can barely count it. Yeah. Um, I think that's why Chris ranks so low because he only has a season under his belt, and that's probably also why that's why Paul's Paul, down so because, low. Because that your typical the doctor, your typical fans probably don't listen to Big Finish. There's probably only the really diehards that, that listen to Big Finish. So I'm kind of surprised that Paul is higher than Colin just based on that aspect alone. I guess it's the coat turns on people off. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. The uh, again going to that percentage, Matt Smith fifteen point five seven. David Tennant, 15.49. So not very really yeah, not very close very battle there between the two of them. Okay. What so, Tom get? Uh, 21.69. <laughs> so. And really, Patrick pa- wasn't too far behind at 12. Yeah, Patrick percent. was 12. That was the, the, the total of the double digits. Go, go Patrick. I'm, I'm glad Patrick's awesome. up there. Of course, yeah. now and that's partially because he's of the, riding the high on exactly. lost episodes, too. He but. is, and, and people are getting a chance to sample him more. Yeah. And I think, the, I think the, the boost of the lost episodes, yeah, they came out, and I think people went, hey, this guy's pretty good, and they've probably sampled more of things that do exist, and they've gone, well, oh, he, the black he was and white really kind not of, as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, he was kind of <laughs> underrated. Now, the top ten, I think they got a little bit better. A little bit, but not entirely correct. We're going from ten to number one now? Ten to right. one. Ten to one. Okay. Number ten, Remembrance of the Daleks. At ten? Okay, At I 10. have to see what the rest are. I'm okay with that. Number nine, Human Nature, Family of Blood. Oh. See, I would have I would flip-flopped those already by now. Not knowing <laughs> the rest what the rest of them are, I would have flip-flopped those already. Eight is the Pyramids of Mars. Pyramids made <laughs> Seven, Empty Child, Dr. Dances. Oh, definitely in the top ten. Six, I think we're all just going to disagree with this one, Talons of Wing Chang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five, City of Death. Yay. Four, The Caves of Edrazani. Four. Actually, I, I think I know the I rest. Say you should, yeah, if you were throwing on, yeah. on Friday Night Who, yeah, this, is not a, this is all spo- uh, spoiler version material. For those we covered that this. <laughs> on Friday Night Who, three, Genesis of the Daleks, two, Blink, and number one, The Day of the Doctor. And those are my top four stories. Probably not in that order, but those are my top four top. So, yeah. I don't think I can narrow down just top four. I think it's my top ten is just a jumbled mess of but these ten <laughs> are the best. I can't rank them higher than I that. can still equivalently say Caves is the best. I think my second favorite would I would probably fall down on Blink and then I would do Genesis and then I would do Day of the Doctor. Genesis and Day might be interchangeable there. <laughs> the it might day. be a tie for a third, but <laughs> as far as I'm going. But. I'm surprised there's no um Grown Fireplace. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised there's not more Tenth Doctor stories on that list. Yeah, a little honestly. bit. Um, because of course, we can't see love. them all, right? We don't have them yeah. all. Yeah, you have to go pick up the magazine to see all see of them. See where a lot of those are. Because there might be some of those that, that ranked 11, 12, and then in the next 10, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. Might be there. Um, I'm a little surprised. I'm, I'm still I'm continually surprised that Talon's ranks as high as it does. What do you guys think I of, just, of uh, Family of Blood? Uh, human nature family. It's been a while since I've seen it. it. It's, it's a good that, story, but it's not deserves a top 10. 10. I don't know if so it deserves a top 10. 10. I, I mean, it's good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's good and it's it's fascinating. It's a top 20, sure. Maybe. But, but what's fascinating about it is the fact that the Doctor's not really in it. I find, yeah. at least. So, well, he's not himself in it. Yeah, so <laughs> having it 
a Doctor Who story. Oh, Granite, Granite Blink. Blink it's is light, in too, yeah. But I don't know. It's I don't tend to instantly think of Blink and or anything the Doctor Light stories, even this two-parter, because it's not him in it as instantly. Oh, Doctor Who. That's not what I instantly right, think because right. I think the Doctor and the Doctor is usually forefront in the stories when I think of them. I think it's interesting that for all of the uh, the you know the, as we've covered ad nauseum all of the Moffat haters out there that he scored three of the top ten. Yeah, technically four if you count Empty Child and Doctor Dances uh-huh. as two separate stories. So, uh-huh. but this doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and RTD well, didn't you, make if, it on if, there if at you all. Could, if you could break it up, then you might see things like part one of Unearthly Child <laughs> would, <laughs> would be up at one number one, and, and the, the rest of the three. episodes would be the bottom ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I just this bottom ten baffles me. Where is Daleks in Manhattan? Where is? Oh yeah. <laughs> The Celine two-parter in what, you know, one, series one. Where's Idiot's Lantern? Where is... Um, I'm going to have to buy this issue just to <laughs> find out where the ranking is. The, I'm gonna, the, the yeah, cover's I'm, pretty awesome. It's I'm going to buy this issue thing. and a red highlighter and go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Doctor Magazine, here's where you're wrong. <laughs> Which it is on the newsstands now. So it is. if you're okay. interested, you can go by it. Okay. Pretty interesting, I think. All right. Well, I suppose let us know what you think of the uh, do you agree? tops and bottoms. What do you... What do you? How think? would you re-rank them? Let's move on to feedback. <laughs> Should we all sing it this week? I mean, we, Are you sure? We haven't had a feedback <laughs> song for a long time. Should we all just sing the standard? Let's all sing it. Ready? Okay. Yep. Feedback, feedback. We've got some feedback. Jazz hands. You didn't do the jazz hands. Okay, he's done. He got it. They're late. He got it. I was I was delayed with my jazz hands. Figured just saying jazz hands was enough. Um. No. Just saying jazz hands is never enough, Mister. If you are not going to throw the jazz hands, <laughs> you just go home. <laughs> Do you know how many outraged theater people that there are listening at this moment? It's just saying, isn't it? And that's why you'll never make it out of the course. <laughs> that's why I always ran tech. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Techies only say Jetsy. I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of had my head bob and everything going on there. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> First up, Rachel. She writes in comment question. Hello, Vortex Gang. Just drop in a quick line with a mini recap of my experience of Indie PopCon with special guest Sylvester McCoy. Yay! Friend of the show, Sylvester McCoy. Yes. I hope you said hi from us. This is the first year for this particular con, and all things considering, the weekend went pretty smoothly. It wasn't too crowded for the show floor. uh, It wasn't too crowded. The show floor was laid out well, so there was plenty of walking space. 
so even those who were cosplaying with larger, larger costumes had room to maneuver. There, and there was plenty to see with all the special guests, panels, games, and screen rooms. Of course, I wanted to see and do all, do it all, but attend, even attending all three days, there was, still wasn't enough time or money for that matter. Of course, the biggest reason I went was to see Sylvester McCoy, and he did not disappoint. He had traveled from Houston that Thursday, so when I saw him Friday, he seemed a bit tired. But he still chatted with me for a few minute, few moments, which was fun. And his panel on Saturday was one of the funniest things I've heard since you guys' own panel with him at Kansas City Comic Con. By the way, I did sell, tell Sylvester hello for you all at our photo op. <laughs> I said that the gentleman who did his panel at KCCC said hello, and he said, Jolly good. That was a lot of fun. So you guys made a good impression on him. Oh, good. Yay. <laughs> After we wore him out. <laughs> <laughs> or before we wore him out. I was pretty sure Sylvester would work the room like he did at KCCC, and he sure did. I'll tell you this. Once Sylvester McCoy gets into a groove, there was no stopping him. He was telling stories, cracking jokes, and making funny remarks all over the room. He And he played the spoons with a couple of little boys who apparently have taken up the skill as well. Ooh. Overall, I had a fantastic time at PopCon. Even if they, didn't, if they don't get someone from Doctor Who next year, I'm definitely going again. Rachel. P.S. Shameless self-promotion. I have a video on my YouTube channel. Well, it should be by the time you guys get the episode up. And pictures up on my blog, Facebook page. And I've included links for both. So we will include those in the show notes. Yes, we will. And you this week. That's me this week. <laughs> I made notes for you. Yes. But I still don't have a way to adjust <laughs> them. Except for my phone, which would be cumbersome. So Keith will make a note for Glenn. And Glenn will put it in the show notes. We'll post yes. it. Yes. I'm glad you had a good time, Rachel. I'm yes, glad Sylvester absolutely. didn't disappoint. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I should be disappointed that he didn't disappoint because, <laughs> you know, then it, was, then it was a, well, you should have come to Kansas City, Rachel. We tried, you know. <laughs> you think Sylvester's going to put on the same show everywhere? He's a one-of-a-kind guy. He only does it once. Yeah. I saw it twice. I saw it in the galley. <laughs> and it's still just as entertaining the it second was. time. It was. It certainly was. And it sounded like uh, he wasn't on stage for like five minutes. Like he got in the on the floor in like the first five minutes. So oh, did he? it wasn't just us that sent him out there. Really. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he had a moderator either. So I don't know. up next is Alex. Alex writes: "Star she blows, Captain. Spoilers off the port bow." That's my pirate voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, Alex here. It's been a while since I wrote in. Like Sean, I've been preparing for my final exams, but I got properly caught up again on the podcast last night, and I thought I'd send in some thoughts. Firstly, days of future past. We're going to refly the spoiler flag since it's only two weeks out, just in case, because I know he's yes. going to talk about a lot of stuff here. So, spoilers Caution ahead. Brittany, if you haven't seen it yet. Which I guess he does say, spoilers off the port bow. So, I'm translating the pirate speak for those of you that maybe don't speak pirate. Uh, I actually went to see it at the cinema right before I downloaded last week's podcast, so I got to listen to your discussion of the movie immediately after watching it. I really enjoyed it to the extent that I think it might be my new favorite X-Men movie, beating out X2 and First Class, which were previously tied for first place in my rankings. I'm going to talk a little bit about it, so you better sound off the spoiler warning foghorn right now. Spoiler. 
that every time now. <laughs> I speak foghorn. What can I say? No, oh, man. Sorry. Sorry, Alex. I wish you could I see the not, shade of red I that Gwen not, is turning right I now. I did not expect that. <laughs> I just looked over and your hands cupped up your mouth. And it just came out. <laughs> I totally didn't. <clears throat> All right. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The thing that I think that I'm disappointed that there are things that you do expect from me. I'm going to have to work harder to <laughs> getting predictable in my old age. This must be remedied. Oh, wow. The thing that impressed me most with Days of Future Past was how boldly they killed off so many of the main characters from previous movies. That moment, five minutes in, where Iceman got decapitated? I knew right then it was going to be a roller coaster of a film. Sure, after a couple of seconds, my brain kicked in and said, hey, it's a time travel movie. He'll probably be fine. But that didn't lessen the initial impact of the death one bit. And they kept up the high death toll throughout the entire film, too. Storm, Colossus, pretty much the entire supporting cast in the future. And even though at the back of my mind I suspected they'd all be okay after the timeline got altered, it was still very distressing to see so many familiar faces fall in combat. That, more than anything, really sold the danger of the post-apocalyptic near future to me and established the Sentinels as genuinely threatening villains, despite the fact that they were just mindless robots. Normally in superhero movies, I find it a little hard to take the danger the bad guy poses seriously. Will the Avengers be able to stop Loki's invasion of Earth? Yes, of course they will. Will Spider-Man be able to defeat Electro? Probably, yeah. <laughs> will Daredevil be able to... Um... <laughs> okay, I've never watched Daredevil. But I'm going to say it's a pretty safe bet that he beats the bad guy and saves the day in the end. You get my point. But that completely wasn't the case in this film. Can the X-Men defeat the Unstoppable Sentinels? No, they can't. They just have to run and keep running, and every attempt they make to fight the Sentinels head-on ends in almost total annihilation for the X-Men. Like I said above, that was what really sold the Sentinels and the unseen evil anti-mutant government behind them as a real genuine threat, despite them having literally no characterization. I also appreciated all the stellar performances in the movie. Bringing together the past and future casts really emphasized just how much star power this franchise has. Seriously, can you imagine if a new movie unaffiliated with any previous series was announced with this cast? Jackman, Stewart, McKellen, McAvoy, Fassbender, Lawrence, Holt, Page, Barry, Cy, and that's even without all the cameos in the final scene. It's an incredible roster, and it really shows just how much reach and popularity Marvel and its associated properties have gained over the last 15 years or so. And speaking of the final scene, honestly, I think it might have been my favorite moment of the entire X-Men series thus far. It just encapsulated the entire saga and put a neat little bow around it, and I agree with Glenn that this would make an excellent final film for the series. Unfortunately, we're getting yeah. well, uh, an Age of Apocalypse. That's okay. I think it'll work out. As for how Professor X is still alive, it's obvious. After he transferred his consciousness into that comatose body at the end of The Last Stand, he must have regenerated into Patrick Stewart. <laughs> New canon. That's weird. In fact, Professor X secretly being a Time Lord fixes pretty much every plot hole the series can throw at you. 
Whenever somebody asks you a question about how the whole mess that is the Striker Weapon X timeline, you just say wibbly wobbly Xavery wavery and walk away. <laughs> Problem solved. Now, I suppose I should speak about something at least tangentially related to Doctor Who. So I have an idea for the ladies of the Vortex. I don't know how far along you guys are planning with your podcast, and this vice might be completely useless, but here it is anyway. I was thinking how difficult it would be for you all to regularly record at once, since I'm guessing everybody lives in different places and different time zones, and I was struck by a potential solution. You could follow the same method as the collaboration channels on YouTube, which are run by groups of people who live all over the world. Each week, one member of the group presents a general topic for discussion, and then over the course of the week, everybody in the group uploads a video exploring that topic in some way. So, each week, one of the ladies could present a topic, say a specific episode, character, or theme, and then everybody could record a short 20-minute segment or so where they discuss that topic in whatever manner they like. Then all the segments get sent to whoever is the designated organizer, editor, supreme commander, and they put all the segments one after another into a single podcast and record a short introduction to introduce the topic. That way, it becomes much easier to produce the podcast regularly, and you get a wide variety of different explorations on a single topic, which I think would make for very interesting listening. Why aren't we doing that? Because <laughs> we all live here. Oh. <laughs> of course, there are issues with that method as well. No simultaneous recording means no witty exchanges or poking the grumpy bears, which is a large part of what makes traveling the vortex so entertaining. Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> Glenn's tired of getting poked Because we like poking you <laughs> And Foghorn would, would just yeah. well, I'd still make you do it at the, at the end of every <laughs> But I still think it would be worth a shot at least As I said above, it's entirely possible You've all come up with a much simpler and much smarter solution In which case, please disregard this section of feedback entirely <laughs> However you choose to record it, I'm really looking forward to the Ladies of the Vortex podcast. The more who talk, the merrier. As for this week's focus story, The Caves of Adrozani, I'll simply say that I completely understand why it gets as much praise from the Who fandom as it does. I'm not sure if I'd call it the absolute greatest story of all time. Neither do most fans now. Apparently most of the (laughs) fandom agrees with you. But it's certainly a very high-caliber piece of television. Well-written, well-performed. The Doctor's death coming out of the coming out of a desire to save a single person, Perry, the companion he hasn't known for very long at all, if you go by TV stories alone, is extremely fitting for the humble and human figure that is Davidson's portrayal of the character. And I think he gives one of his greatest performances in this story. As I mentioned a long time back, I've really come to appreciate the Fifth Doctor in recent months, and this is one of his finest hours for sure. One moment in particular that stood out in my mind was the cliffhanger to Episode 1. Sure, the doctor being sentenced to death is no biggie, but to actually see them pull the triggers and fire as the credits kick in, that's a cliffhanger. Yep. In retrospect, I probably should have seen the solution coming with all that talk of androids being bandied about beforehand, but I was in the dark until the moment of the reveal and absolutely loved it. In fact, I'd go to... I'd go so far to say there's only one episode of Doctor Who that could possibly outshine Caves of Adrazani. Only one story which could introduce such brilliant twists and turns and create such appalling villains that beside it, even caves fall short. We all know which masterpiece I'm referring to, and I must say I'm really looking forward to you listening to you guys review it next week. (laughs) See what he did there? Kind of poked the bear a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing before I go. Keith, you mentioned a few weeks back that the TV show Outcasts was on your to-watch list. 
I was overjoyed to hear that, because so far I've yet to meet anybody else who's watched the show, and I personally enjoyed it very much. It's got a lot of Who guest stars in its central cast. Liam Cunningham was the captain from Cold War. Daniel Mays was Alex in Night Terrors. Not me, Alex. Different Alex. <laughs> Ashley Waters was one of the grumpy brothers in Journey to the Center of the Tardis. It's got some very strong stories, in my opinion, and there's a particular moment involving some handprints on a wall that I really did not see coming, which took the story in a completely unexpected direction. You'll know what I mean when you get around to it. I'm not saying it's the best show ever, but I thought it was excellently written and had some real potential. It's a real shame it was canceled after only the first season. <laughs> okay, Alex, you've convinced me. As soon as I finished West Wing, that's what I'm watching next, since it's only one season. That's all for me this week. Crikey, I went way too much about Days of Future Past, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I hope you're all well and cheery. Congrats to Sean on passing his finals, and thank you again for making <laughs> such an amusing podcast week in and week out. Happy traveling, Alex. P.S. Sorry, sorry, one last thing. I hate to be that guy, but I'm afraid I have a Europe-related pronunciation correction to make. <laughs> it's Kumri all over again. Lazen wrote the filming location you mentioned a few weeks back. Did we? Yes. Oh. Not very well, apparently. <laughs> apparently not. Is you pronounced... Remember the story? Yeah. Okay. Lanzanrati. Lanzanrati. Lanzarotti. Lanzarotti? Lanzarotti. Why don't they just oh, spell it? Oh, it's a it? news story. Yeah, yeah. Lanzarotti with an I. They're going back to film there. So it yeah, said yeah. how it's spelled is a mystery to me. But there you have it. Okay, that's really all for me. I promise this time, bye, guys. Lanzarotti. Lanzarotti is where they're Lanzarati. going. Or as we call it, Lanzarotti. Lanzarotti is where they were going back to film an episode in Series yeah. 8. Gotcha. Okay. They filmed Planet of Fire. Yes. In case the listener did not remember. Is Planet, it was Planet, was that Spain or Italy that they went to? This that Lanzarote totally sounds like an Italian word to me now that I say it. Lanzarote, it's like a Lamborghini or a fettuccine. It's got a <laughs> Lamborghinis are Italian, aren't they? Yeah, well, you I know, Gerbellini so. is not actually Ger- uh, uh, Italian. Gerbellini. My sister's last name. You have a sister, <laughs> <laughs> and she's married to an Italian. No, a Puerto Rican, actually. <laughs> Gerbellini. It yep. must be Portuguese. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I, I could buy that. <laughs> Lanzarote is in Spain. It's in Spain. Okay. I was thinking either Italian or Spain, but apparently it's... In Italian or Spain. In Italian or Spain. <laughs> Italian. <laughs> Down at the Olive Garden. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, next is Holly. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> it's Holly, great to hear from you again, Alex. Holly writes, 179 Caves of Androzani. Hey, guys, Caves of Androzani. What can I say? This is the second time that I've seen this story. I liked it the first time that I watched it, and I like it even more upon second viewing. The doctor's making sure that he and Perry stay safe after their brush with the yet unnamed sticky substance that Perry got caught in. The surgag that he... And Perry keep up for a while while they first get captured is cute, but you can tell that there's something more troubling going on. Shara's Zek, or Jack, excuse me, <clears throat> is quite the interesting character, along with the CEO of the company that's trying to control all the supplies of Spectrox. The CEO and his co-workers kind of remind me a bit of the Time Lords, doing what they think is right for them and not really caring whose toes they step on or what, to, what they do to get things done. 
Shara Zek making androids of the Doctor and Perry. I said Zek again. Jack <laughs> making androids of the Doctor and Perry to use in the execution was nice and made me like him for just a bit, but I still was left with that feeling that he still can't be trusted all that much. The red capes that the Doctor and Perry wore slightly reminded me of the execution scene from the Flash Gordon movie and made the switch that much easier. We find out that the cure for the Spectrox poisoning is available, but with the mining going on, the bats that have the antidote have gone into hiding for their safety. The regeneration scene with the Doctor hearing the voices of old companions and that of the Master was a nice touch and shows how serious this regeneration is and that the Doctor could actually die and not come back. We get the appearance of Six and the look on his face and his response of him changing and not at a moment too soon foreshadows what the next, doc- what the next season may bring with this Doctor. I'll wrap it up here. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts on this story. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Holly. You know, while watching it, I also thought, these guys kind of remind me of Time Lords. So I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. Well, I think you mentioned that on... Uh, I think I tweeted it. Yeah. yeah. Up next is Chrissy. Let's see if I can do this right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Valar Margulish. Close. Did you know how to say it? Vargor. <clears throat> well, I did. <laughs> Valar Morghulis. That's pretty close. You're very close. I looked that up before the show. I didn't actually know how to produce it. (laughs) I know what it means. I I, I don't think I've heard them say it on the show. All men must die. Really? Yep. This is a cheery show we watch. (laughs) (laughs) You're surprised by this? Winter is coming. All men must die. Yeah, I pretty much sounds like I don't know if it's a house saying or where it came from, actually. Oh, we have it on posters at work, and it features yeah, it's, it's, several it's, different characters, so I don't think the, it's a house. It's, it's the s- slogan for the season. You know what it is. It's George R. R. Martin's family motto. <laughs> <laughs> His family crest is on the wall, and it's a wolf and a elk, and, a thing, and that's the tagline <laughs> on the slogan there. It's a customary saying in Essos. So it's actually the eastern portion of the world. And traditionally answered with Valar Doheris. Which means? All men must serve. <laughs> also not terribly cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like the world is not enough better. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your bit of Game of Thrones trivia for you. Uh, Chrissy continues. But I win. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Vortex Boys. If you don't know what my subject line means, ask a Game of Thrones fan. Though I have no idea how to pronounce it, so good luck with that. Good we job, got you covered, Chris. We went one step further. We done looked it up. And we can't be bothered to look up important things like how to pronounce real places, but <laughs> by God, those made up ones, we're going to be all over those. Before I get. Actually, I think I know the uh, topo- topography of Westeros and Essos better than Europe and Asia <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I apparently know it better than Kansas because I didn't know where um, I didn't I didn't or Missouri in this case I didn't realize that Joplin is as close to the border as it is. I was really thinking because our corporate headquarters is in Joplin. Oh yeah. And Matt kept talking about 
10 minutes over the border into Kansas, and I'm like, how fast did you drive? Because I was always under <laughs> the impression that Joplin's like out in the middle, you know. It's further south. Yeah. it's. I went to uh, school in Pittsburgh, Kansas uh, for a semester. Uh, went, to Pitt, went to Pittsburgh State. That's 10 minutes from both borders. And right? Yeah. You, you, we literally went to Joplin. It was 20 minutes away. We literally went to Joplin to do everything that wasn't, you know, drinking or studying. <laughs> Joplin was where you went and saw movies or went to restaurants um, or did that kind of stuff. Pittsburgh where you got drunk and missed Sometimes studies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and missed <finals. laughs> Honestly, I don't know if I would have known where Joplin was if it weren't for the tornado a couple years ago. Even after the tornado, I thought it was over well, there. Well, we worked so. in news, so we're a bit more plugged into where it's located. Well, I'm going to blame you guys because apparently you never threw the map up for me. <laughs> That's true. We probably didn't. <laughs> I'm one of them ignorant Americans. If you don't show me a map of the area, I'm just blah, I'm kind of lost. <laughs> Iraq, that's over near Arkansas, right? I'm sorry, okay. Chris. <laughs> Before I get into the utter heartbreak portion that of my feedback. Oh, is this going to be a downer letter? <laughs> okay, well, we're reviewing caves. This is Chrissy. Her doctor. Seriously? <laughs> this is a 10 o'clock podcast, isn't it? You we kind of started me. somber before you kind of made us laugh a much. <laughs> you didn't notice that? That's okay, Chrissy. I'm sitting here in my clown shoes, and I have my honky horn, so <laughs> we'll try and keep the attitude light as we go. Uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that our book club poll winner for the month of June, by one vote, thanks for everyone getting in and breaking those ties, is... Touched by an angel. Yay! Finally, I get to join in on a book that I haven't read yet. Yay! Finally, I can talk about one I've read and because I don't have time to read it this month. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys haven't read any of them. <laughs> I haven't. I guess I can cheer on that one because I've read this one, haven't I? I lent it to you. Did you read it? I think I read it. This is the time it's, travel angel? Yeah, the, the doctor. Yeah, I've read this one. So, so we. Try I was all disappointed. I was all disappointed because it's like, eh, I've read that one. But I guess, yay, I've read that one, so I can actually join the conversation this month. Yay! <laughs> Did I vote for that one? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I know I didn't vote. For I got to hurry and finish Maze Runner so that I don't have seven books going. At the I think same I voted time. for Saturday. <laughs> Uh, which is by Jonathan Morris. So, hooray for getting a new Who novel. And as <laughs> as always, people can let me know if they have problems getting the book. But seeing as it's an 11th Doctor's novel, it shouldn't be too hard to find. I think they have even re-released it since I got it into one of the really small paperbacks. Yeah, now. You're right. yeah. I think you're right. And you can probably find it at a used bookstore or a half-price bookstore pretty quick, easily. Okay. Deep breath. Review time. The Caves of Adrazani. Well, good night, everyone. Jazz hands. <laughs> I kid, I kid, only slightly. Yes, this story is definitely in the top five best Doctor Who stories of all time. I would certainly say it's the very best one that Classic Who has to offer. It is it is so unique in style and tone and story compared to everything else that came before it. And, I, and it could never be duplicated. They tried. It never really worked the same way again. It's one of those stories... That just had, that had just the right writer, just the right director, excuse me, just the right set design, just the right actors, just the right everything, and it all fell into place to create this masterpiece. I do love the idea for the story. In many ways, it's similar to Warriors of the Deep. Basically, the Doctor and Perry land on this island or on this planet where there is no good guys at all. There is no 
appealing to anyone's better nature. There is no fixing any of those problems, or these problems. They're just in the middle of a terrible war, and the best thing to do would be to, would have been to get back in the TARDIS and let these politicians and soldiers and rebels just blow each other up. Unfortunately, that is the exact opposite of what the Fifth Doctor is all about. He is the good. He is a good guy, and he believes in the better nature of everybody. He wants to see all the good things that the universe has to offer. That leads him to explore the mines of Adrazoni Minor, which leads him and Perry to get poisoned by the Spectrox, to get captured by every opposing force on this planet, <laughs> while trying to get trying to find the cure. And for the first time, the Doctor is forced to focus on himself and his companion. Let the rest of the situation go as it will, and no matter who dies. Which, all but two characters in this story die. Perry and Timon, the secretary who forced Morgus out of power, are the only two who survive this story. No matter the incarnation, incarnation, the Doctor wins when he finds good people who will pick up where he leaves off after fixing whatever problem he encounters. The people he helps have to change and do good things. Nobody on Adrazani wants to change for the better. Everybody here is in it for themselves. They're all selfish and greedy and terrible. Horrible people. The tragedy of the Fifth Doctor, especially, is that he continues to fall... He continually falls in with these sorts of people. In his previous adventures, there's usually been at least one other person, not counting his companions, who's willing to listen to the Doctor and help him. So I guess it's fitting that the Fifth Doctor's final story is about nobody listening to him, and he dies because of it. But also, in keeping with the Fifth Doctor's good guy persona, or for lack of a better term, he dies in saving his companion because he's the only person on his side in any of this. That, I think, is why the cliffhanger of Episode 3 is my absolute favorite cliffhanger ever. ever. If you ever want to know why I love the Fifth Doctor, that little monologue he gives in that cliffhanger is the essence of the character. Given that it's the last cliffhanger the the Fifth Doctor truly gets, it's a fitting moment for him to go out on. Wow, I did better discussing that than I thought I would. I guess I got all my feels and rage at this story out during Friday Night Who. <laughs> I'm sorry for that vehement show of emotion, but this story just has that effect on me. I'm sure you all have things that do that to you, or do that for you, don't lie. I think it's a sign of just how good the story is that I do get so emotional about it. Yes, I'm invested in it heavily because it's the death of my doctor and I don't want to see him go. And I really hate all these horrible people that are contributing to his demise. But that's the strength of it. Like I said earlier, all the great elements of storytelling combine in this story to make something remarkable. And that is always something, and that is always going to evoke strong, a strong emotional reaction from me. And I'm guessing other people have the same thing. It's not something I can easily watch, especially since the Fifth Doctor is so nice and he's always been that sweet boy next door, boy next door sort of guy. And to throw him in a tough situation like this creates that stark contrast that is interesting to watch, even if it's difficult to do so. Anyway, I've rambled enough. I'm going to let the, braise, the boys praise this to the high heavens as it deserves while I go curl up in the corner with my 5 cricket sweater and knitted celery pin. Or maybe I'll watch Fort of Doomsday again. That usually makes me feel better. <laughs> Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. And well said. Well said. said. <clears throat> I am impressed that you kept it together so well. Even during Friday Night Who, I was impressed, actually. As much 
hatred as she spewed about it. it I was impressed. Up next is Eric. Eric writes, The Tragedy of the Caves of Androzani, a play in four parts. Hey guys, a couple of things before my review. First, a technical problem. I primarily listen to the podcast on my iPad, but I've had a few problems that you guys might have some suggestions for. Apple's podcast app doesn't like me. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> you say that, but it is. <laughs> I got nothing. Have you tried buying it flowers? <laughs> I think Sean's laughing so hard because he can relate. <laughs> well, my, my, my bane is iTunes, but yeah. Just a different application. Uh, sorry, Eric. I don't know why that just <laughs> just struck me wrong. Um, <laughs> the app doesn't like me and freezes instantly upon loading. Admittedly, I haven't tried it recently to see if things have gotten better. Since I haven't been downloading the podcast normally, I've been listening to it in Safari. This was fine when I first started listening, as I had a reasonable control over the point in the podcast I could play from. Not anymore. It seems that Apple has made some changes to Safari, and now when I play the podcast, I have to start at the beginning and cannot jump to another point. I have noticed that myself. That's not just Safari. That's Chrome and is that all of them now? Firefox. Since Safari might be our player, it might be our embedded player. Since Safari will not save my place, should it go to the background, I've pretty much not even gotten to the feedback section in recent weeks. Hopefully this week will be different, and I can get through feedback and find that you have the perfect solution. Preferably one that doesn't involve me getting an Android device. <laughs> you want to tackle that now, or? Well, could he just download it through iTunes on the iPad? Yeah, just down, just go just to the, iTunes and download it through the store, and then just use it. Um, use iTunes to play. Yeah, as a, as a, yeah. But he's on. He's doing it on his iPad, so I think it might force him to open it in uh, the podcast, the podcast player. And I don't know if you can play podcasts out of music anymore. I think they're they've they've separated it into a whole other. So even if you went to there and got it, the only other suggestion I could say would be maybe since it's not labeled as a podcast, go to our RSS feed and see if you could download it from somewhere else. And then you could still open it in Safari, but you wouldn't have to play it directly from our site. Would you be able to download it from our site? To have the actual MP3 on the yeah, iPad? Yeah, I guess so there is a download link. Maybe you try, that. try that. Try, yeah. But it might load it in the <coughs> MP3 thing. Or as Which would be fine. If, it, if, if in, that, in, in that case, if you downloaded it as an MP3 from our website, clicking on the download link yeah. right above the embedded player... And then open it in iTunes. It should be able to do it that way. Because then, it, re- then it, it recognizes as it as a right a, a MP3. Yeah, you're right. That's what I would try. Okay. I'm going to make a suggestion and say maybe you should email him back sure, with, sure, sure. with all that information in sure, case sure. he doesn't get to this portion of it. Can do. Cool. Uh, now on to who. I've rewatched Caves a couple of times recently. Once with and once without a toddler talking over it. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about it made me start thinking about another regeneration story, The End of Time. It occurred to me that the Doctor's choices leading up to his regeneration in both stories are remarkably similar. Similar. This led me to start thinking about your discussion of The Fall in The End of Time in contrast to Legopolis. I then thought about it some more, and I think I figured out something that it might be simple coincidence or maybe a hidden design of Russell T. Davies. The Tenth Doctor had to regenerate because he chose to absorb the radiation that would have killed Wilf. 
The ninth doctor regenerated because he absorbed the TARDIS's energy that infused Rose. The fifth doctor regenerated because he chose to give the only antidote to Perry. The third doctor regenerated from radiation poisoning. The fourth doctor suffered a great fall. The second doctor regenerated due to his actions and judgment of the Time Lords High Council. And the seventh doctor regenerated from a gunshot. While none of these things led to Ten's regeneration, they were all plot elements in End of Time. There was even a blow to the Master's head, just like what did the Sixth Doctor in. And even though we know things went differently in The Night of the Doctor, RTD would have considered the Eighth Doctor's in to be using the moment to create the time lock. That was being undone in the end of time. This leaves the first as the only previous Doctor's regeneration that I can't find a reference to in the story. How about you guys? Can you think of anything? I really want this to be more than just a coincidence. Huh. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it that way. That's deep. Um, I suppose what we'd have to go with the, the first doctor's the es- essentially dying of old age. I mean, if we're, if we're dealing with just the regeneration part of it, what leads to it is we, we assume it's old age or illness. Well, we have to go with old age because it, the reference to it being... His body was wearing thin. Wearing a bit thin. Well, no, no, no. Well, yes, that's why we have to go with it. But there was a reference that was cut from the televised story that talked about how he absorbed... Uh, oh, some radiation. Oh, yeah, all that radiation there as well. Yeah. And that's what did it to him in the... In the and his old body couldn't handle it. Right. Really, even... So if you go with the director's cut, <laughs> it totally fits. If yeah. you go with the televised version, you have to come up with another reason for it. I don't know. I'll other than, other than maybe just the, the, the references that the Ood make, that your song is ending. That, yeah. You know, not necessarily old age, but just your time is up. Yeah. The end of time. I the only know. other thing I could think of, and it's kind of a stretch, is... I mean, the first Doctor's last lines are, it's chilly, put on a coat. And one of the last shots we see of Ten before he goes into the TARDIS is him standing in the snow. Which would be chilly. Because there was snow on where they were on the Tenth Planet. That's stretching a bit. I, I think it's a stretch, but maybe not any other than it, any it of this. It fits better with the, <laughs> the, the, the um, radiation. is a much better fit if you consider that canon. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to percolate on that some and get back to you. But I think sure. I think I think Glenn's right. I think radiation kind of just boils it all together. Um, he continues, and while I'm on the subject of the end of time, with all of the criticisms of the story from you three and in listener feedback, I'm surprised that no one talked about the B plot of President Obama's plan to save the global economy. To insert a real a current real world politician into the story in that way was inappropriate. That it was an American president in such a prominent British program is bizarre. That he portrayed that he was portrayed as the almost savior of the global economy is ridiculous, although admittedly not unique in the pre-Tea Party era of his presidency. Just to be clear, this is not a criticism of the president, only of the end of time. It really should have not been there. I can see that just from the standpoint that we've always had fake presidents, yeah. you know, as alluded to in, in Who Before, that they may have been caricatures of whoever was in office at the moment as witnessed in the previous well and i th- i think it but it, it was certainly a product of its time when it came out most of europe actually most of the world was totally in love with barack obama they loved him 
I mean, he was more popular overseas than he was even with his constituents here in the U.S., who just had just elected him president. So I think a part of that was just the fact that, that the world was so enamored by him that I think Russell was probably quick to go, oh, we should include He him. should be in here. So, Could be. And I think that's why he's the one solving the problem, because I think the rest of the world saw him as the hope of the U.S. Well, being... <laughs> You know, campaigned on, yeah. Well, was being change. was being less of of the warmonger and more of the hey, let's all get get along. The world the, the world leader as opposed to the American leader. So, and now the case. Uh, not of, that that makes it right. I remember when watching it, I thought it was kind of odd that they included him instead yeah. of a faceless president. Yeah. We don't know who. Well, because we got president elect in that. Uh, oh, silly, and. Uh, Oh. Last of the time, War yeah. Lords. Um, Sound the drums. Sound the drums, yeah. Yeah. And now the case of Androzani. Way back in episode 7, there was some discussion about Christian imagery in Doctor Who the movie. I believe Glenn remarked that you can certainly find it if you're looking for it. In a later podcast, there was some speculation about possible Easter specials and how they could be made thematically appropriate in the way that the Moffat era Christmas specials have been more thematic than the RTD era ones. I believe there were jokes about the Doctor traveling back to the crucifixion. Well, back in the day, when I was first watching Caves, 92 or 93, I was, shall we say, an enthusiastic Methodist youth. For the record, I'm no longer a Christian. And Caves of Adrazani was my Easter special. First of all, I happened to watch it right at Easter time, and I was convinced that my local PBS station planned it that way. It features the death and regeneration of my doctor, who sacrifices himself for his helpless companion. But beyond that, I saw parallels in the execution at the end of episode one and beginning of episode two, as well as in the character of General Chellick, who I saw as a Pontius Pilate analog. I now see that I was likely just looking for parallels that are probably a bit of a stretch, but I remember thinking about these for days afterward at the time. Upon rewatching it all these years later, I still love it, but for different reasons mainly in how unique it is for the show. While over the long history, stories have emulated different genres, from mystery to horror, action-adventure, history, western, etc., as far as I know, Caves of Androzani is the only example of tragedy in Doctor Who. I'm no literary expert, but I think it has all the major characteristics in its plot. First of all, nearly everyone dies, either through their own failings or vices, or by those of other major characters. Further, in Elizabethan tragedy, there are three main plot types— although more than one could be present in a story. And in fact, all three are in caves. The first is Revenge Tragedy, which is the story of Sherry's Jack. Following this is the Tragedy of Miscalculation, which fits Traumorgus's manipulations, his paranoid misinterpretation of the Doctor's survival of his execution, and his rather sloppy murder of the President. Finally, we have the Tragedy of Circumstance, which involves an innocent human man being thrust into a situation beyond his control the situation of the Doctor. All three men are somewhat noble stature, a requirement for a true tragedy. The Doctor is a Time Lord, Jack is a brilliant robotics engineer, and Morgus is not only the head of a corporation that pretty much controls everything on Androzani Major, but boasts of his lineage as a descendant of one of the founding settlers. The Doctor's regeneration brings the audience to a moment of catharsis. The three men have tragic flaws that bring their downfall. Morgus's greed, Jack's desire for revenge, and the Doctor's well, he's a bit special now, isn't he? As the doctor says, curiosity has always been my downfall. And surely if he'd listened to Perry at the beginning, they would have been fine, and no one on Androzani Minor would have been worse off. 
But beyond that, this is an example of how his optimistic outlook cost him his life. When Perry fell into the raw spectrox nest, he literally brushed it off as probably harmless. Had he been just a little more skeptical, a little more cautious, he could have escaped to the TARDIS at the end. Excuse me. Uh, he could have brushed it off Perry with something other than his bare hand, his celery perhaps, proceeded to the final escape to the TARDIS at the end, still having taken every other action and made every other choice that he did and been fine. Perry would have been the only one to contract spectrox toxemia, and the amount of queen backmelt would have been sufficient. Usually the flaws in something so innocent, perhaps even admirable. But with someone like the doctor that travels around, sticking his nose in where maybe he shouldn't, throwing caution to the wind, no matter how brilliant or well-intentioned he is, it only makes sense that eventually his luck would run out. Another notable and perversely likable quality of Caves, I find, is the doctor's utter helplessness. While people might complain of Perry's lack of agency here, I'd point out the doctor fares hardly any better. After being captured by Chellick, the doctor's actions can be summed up as follows. 1. Rescued, captured by Jellick. 2. Escape Jellick. 3. Captured by Stotts. 4. Escape Stotts. 5. Find Perry. 6. Get Queen's Bat Milk. 7. Bring Perry back to the TARDIS. 8. Prepare and administer the antidote for Perry. Die. Or 9. Die and regenerate. No stopping the villain. No saving the world. Just getting Perry and him out of the situation he got them into and dying. If anyone ever feels that the Doctor is too perfect, too powerful, that he wins too often or too easily, the perfect antidote is to watch caves <laughs> and remember that sometimes even the Doctor is powerless to help. I do find it telling that at this time of the Fifth Doctor's greatest vulnerability, it is also only the TV's Fifth Doctor story in which he has only one companion, suggesting to me that he really depended on having a full crew to have at his back. Wait, it is only it is the only TV Fifth Doctor story? Only TV Fifth Doctor story. Sorry, I read that wrong, didn't I? The only, fifth, the only TV Fifth Doctor story in which he has only one companion. Correct. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they would have, wouldn't have done any better had any of his other companions stuck around that long. Maybe I'm just biased. I know Sean thinks that the Fifth Doctor had too many simultaneous companions, but I disagree. I've generally enjoyed Doctor Who more when it has a cast of three or four instead of just two. I don't find it bloated at all, and why should it? After all, most science fiction shows have ensemble casts that dwarf even the largest of TARDIS crews. So why should the Doctor only have one or two companions? I suppose the argument can be made that Doctor Who frequently features guest allies, while other shows mostly only have guest antagonists, but, those aren't, but there aren't guest allies in every story. Even when you estimate that a guest ally needs two or three times the focus as a companion in order to properly address the character's arc in the span of one story, that would be the equivalent of a six- or seven-member cast on another show, which is pretty typical. Anyway, I think I'll stop rambling about now. I could go on with how I wish there was a scene in the Shakespeare Code in which the Doctor pitches a story to Shakespeare that is very similar to Caves, but Shakespeare suggests an alternate ending in which the physician miraculously recovers but goes insane and murders the assistant he just cured before coming to his senses and killing himself in grief, making the Doctor very uncomfortable and dismissing the story as rubbish. <laughs> a thousand points for that. It's awesome. I could also talk about ideas I had for including some unorthodox levels based on caves in Doctor Who Legacy that would fit the spirit of the story, mainly because I really want a fifth Doctor Android duplicate character. Yeah, but you might make Chrissy cry if you did that. <laughs> I think I'll she just wrap. I think level. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> she'd, be, she'd be playing. Make a complete next level caves. Now I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't even start it. <laughs> 
Um, I think I'll just wrap it up, though. Thank you for the great work and eagerly await hearing your thoughts as well as Chrissy's and whoever else chimes in. At least, I hope I can hear it. Later, Eric sent from my <laughs> iPad. <laughs> That's deep, Eric. Yeah, uh, especially the tragedy stuff. I yeah. didn't think about that until yeah. now. Elevates. Uh, I think that elevates the story and Robert Holmes as a writer even more. Okay. Hmm. Let's get on well, to we're our talk about it. So, on the cave-ridden world of Adrazani Minor, the Doctor and Perry inadvertently find themselves enmeshed in a war fought between the ruthless General Shellek and the sinister Shara's Jack and his army of androids. The duplicitous politician Morgus wants Chalik to execute the time travelers as spies, while the disfigured Jack seeks to keep Perry forever hostage within his own within his stronghold. But the doctor soon realizes an even more gruesome fate awaits them. They have been infected with a fatal spectrox toxemia, and there is no cure. Hunted by both factions and with death just hours away, how far must this must the doctor go in order to save his friend's life? Get out of here! You're kidding. I'm not kidding. You did not like this. this? Is a horrible story. Oh, get out of this here! Is this is in my bottom ten. No, this is in my bottom ten ever. No. Probably right, like. There's... That's what it gets. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> There's probably like you know, fear her and then oh, whatever, <laughs> then, then caves, whatever he's, that one is. He's milking it too much. I can't. I'm really not milking it. I, I, it's horrible. It's a bad story. I don't know. You know this is like talons all over again. Talons. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody's on it for years. Oh my God, Caves of Androzani. It's like the Citizen Kane of Doctor <laughs> Who. It's Casablanca. It's that. No, it isn't. It's That's the not. Citizen Kane. It's not the Casablanca. It's not that good. <laughs> well, what, what what are your arguments? It's not even the Iron why? Sky of Doctor Who. Why? <laughs> just That's a little. What are your arguments against? What am I? Oh, where, oh God, where to start? I, he summed it up really well. Eric did with his. Here's the Doctor's. Here's what he does. <laughs> What he does every episode, he gets captured, he escapes, he gets captured, he escapes. He doesn't do anything. There's no forward motion in this story at all. There's no character development. There's no growth. There's no movement. There's no plot. It's just, hey, we landed in a bad situation, and then you died. Eh. What does, where does, where do you go with that? For four episodes. It drug, now, the cliffhangers were great. The cliffhangers we're all, were awesome. The cliffhangers are beyond phenomenal. Eh. I keep thinking maybe maybe if I went into this not knowing, maybe if I didn't know that this was Davison's swan song, and yeah. that, he, that well, the, going in it feels very much like oh, are we going to go now? No, no, no. Well, that was it's kind of like every regeneration story. When you know it's that, you don't know when it's going to happen, well, even you, though you should know it's at the very end. Yeah, that's that, but you that always was, kind of wonder well, if they're going to break trend. But you got to also remember that the, we did the same thing with these, Time of the Dog. But yeah, these things yeah. were these things were serialized, and I think by this time a lot of people knew, or most people knew that Davison was leaving. And most people knew that Colin Baker had already been picked. So the question was, when do it wasn't? They, is it going to happen? Knew, when is it going to happen? Wasn't so the end of the season. There's, there's, there's no surprise that it's going to happen. And I think that was the calculated effort here was to say, okay, we're going to. Sh- if you realize 
Every cliffhanger is the Doctor in peril. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Which is something you've complained about before. Is yes, that normally when it's not our generation. But that's, that's, you're right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. context of how it is. And that's why I like these cliffhangers so much. I agree with that because you've now, complained about it before that, well, you put the doctor in danger. I don't buy it. But in this one, knowing that he's going to buy it. So that works in the sense you know, that you know he's going to die. You just don't know when. And you know that Colin's already on board. So they could have easily still been a four-part story. Davison dies in part one, and Colin comes in in part two, three, or four, or or halfway through, or in the full last one, which they had done before, in as far as seasons go. So well, yeah, because yeah. this is this is the penultimate story exactly of because the then Twin Dilemma is the finale. So that that's the idea of doing it that way and framing that way, and I think it, it, it's brilliant that they did it that way, and I, I love that the idea of that. That um, I agree with the, the 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 cliffhangers are great. The Story structure is just see. Here's the here's the thing. This is that's that's what makes this so good. It's all Perry's fault. This fell down. That's what makes this so good. Is it is so remarkably different from any Doctor Who that had come before this. It is the Doctor setting down on a planet, and curiosity gets the best of him. And so they go into this situation, and you're right. But the, early on, you have no idea that the Doctor and Perry are in any sort of peril because they've gotten into something that's itchy. And so the, the story develops and builds on the same tropes as Doctor Who, the capture and release and the, 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 the intrigue and whatnot. And I love the idea that this continues to just get worse and worse and worse for the Doctor, and you don't know who to trust, and you've got all There's of these... No one to like. That's what I like about this story so much is, yeah, you're looking for that anti-hero. You're looking for the ultimate villain. You're looking for that... A person to root for, and they're they're not there. And all along, the only people that you find you can trust are the Doctor and Perry through the entire thing. And that's what I think is good because it puts so much focus on those characters. Now, overall, is the story great? No, it's just kind of an average story that's there that I I, I think is it's good. It's entertaining. It's captivating because you don't know what's going to happen next, especially the first time you see it, and it doesn't advance anywhere. You're absolutely right. But then when you put in the, the, the acting by every single character in there, the everybody great. is yeah, such a strong great. character. Whether you despise them or whether you like them or whether you hate their motivations or you like their motivations, every one of them nails it. There's not a bad person in this crop, except for maybe that president. I didn't like him that well. I mean, as <laughs> acting-wise. Um, but... Uh, and then he when had it, great hair. Though. When it all he did have great hair. <laughs> I hope my hair looks that good <laughs> when I am whatever age he was. But what I ultimately come down and I think is the ultimate best part of this is the direction by Graham Harper. I think the shots are composed so magnificently, and it was interesting to watch the. Uh, I think it was called Chain Reaction. Yep, it's the 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 one on the separate disc that's the documentary on it, and finding out that Graham, I mean, he was he was I knew he was very new and very green, and this was his first official Doctor Who credit as far as directing goes. He'd been on, he'd been a hand and been a part of the crew for a long time. He gets the and he guest directed a couple. He of gets them, didn't well, he got the were, uncredited uh, directing of Warriors Deep or not Warriors Deep. Um, no, um, Warriors Gate. Yeah, that Which was the one is, we talked yeah, about. And he, yeah, unfortunately, he got thrown into that because of circumstances surrounding the actual director. But so this was his first outing as, as a director on Doctor Who, and to see how 
inexperienced he felt he was watching this, I think there's nothing that he did that was the same as anybody had done before. And that's what I like. Other than there are some parts of Warrior's Gate now that I think back about it that are very similar to this. But the, the staging, the sets, the everything in this are is the wonderful. Framing Every, the, the framing of the shots. I love the one the, where um, the, 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 movement. the mercenary comes over and is standing over yes. uh, the guy. And it's shot from between his legs. Yes. Which almost, it almost gives it kind of a comedic, you know, what are you doing? What is this? But then, in the course of that argument and fight, and then Flipping when he it flips it around yeah. and he's now being dangled over the edge of the cliff, and we get the reverse shot where the leader is now standing over him, it was like that's that's cool. Yeah, it's it's all cool. It's all well. It's all so shot so well. There's down. There's angles from the floor. There's there's things that they they just were not doing in Doctor Who at the time. There's things. There there there's shots from over the shoulder. That's I love the 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 both. Uh, uh, subjects facing the camera, and Graham talked about how he thought after looking back at it. Now he said, "Why did I do that? That was just silly. I was so green." But I love the framing of that, where you would have somebody here and you'd have somebody back over their shoulder, and they would be talking and interacting with each other, but they were both looking at the camera or towards the camera anyway, past the camera. All the scenes where the uh, the general was yes, fiddling or something, and the subordinates behind him. Because he's absolutely right. You don't have to. You don't lose that uh, uh, reaction of both faces that you're yeah. getting. At the and you don't have to worry moment. about cutaways. You don't have to cut back and forth between those two to get those. Um, Graham also directed everything from the floor, which very few people did. Most directors were up in the booth. They reviewed. They uh, um, had a floor production person that, that basically delivered anything between the actors, and so he was down there on the floor. Uh, it, just everything about the direction and the and the sets and the I mean the quarry had been used before. We'd clearly seen that quarry quarry over and over again, but. I was fine with that. The, the action sequences, the <laughs> the doctor actually doing his own stunts as you see him falling down, and you're like, "Wow, that really was Peter Davison doing that," you know. Um, just all of that, everything in this is so wonderful that yes, the story isn't the most powerful story, but this is the best story because of the quality of everything that surrounds that story. Um, Perry is not annoying for the first time. <laughs> of course, this was... Oh, I don't think she was annoying in our first I don't think she was annoying in Planet of Fire. I, I think she was rather annoying towards the end of Planet of Fire. She she had... She was certainly stronger, and they hadn't gone the Sixth Doctor Perry with her yet. Right. But having known the Perry that came with the Sixth Doctor, she's not. She's very early on in this. Um, the, the Fifth Doctor is just phenomenally acted. And I love the way that Peter Davison almost has this frustration through the whole thing just it's a, this it's almost a sense of frustration that he he's getting nowhere he's getting nowhere and he knows it and so ultimately he realizes that the the only thing he can do is 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 the greatest sacrifice for Perry who as somebody pointed out televised wise he barely knew this girl yeah. and still was willing to put his life on the line for her for, as a companion I think it makes. Do you a think little maybe more... that's why Big Finish? Did, did they look at it as you know the tragedy of Adrizani is that he he killed himself for this girl who he, he doesn't Barely know? Knew. Or is is it because of that that maybe Big Finish thought we have an opportunity to shoehorn a whole bunch of of Fifth Doctor Perry stories in here yeah. to kind of 
retcon that post-actively, that yeah. the reason he'd sacrifice is because they're very good friends? Or do you think it was just, well, that's the slot we've got available? Well, I'm sure okay. it comes up as that's the only spot we have available. But then I think also then they say, okay, since that's the only place we have available, why don't we expound on the reason why he said, you know what I'm saying? So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a combination of it's everything. Too, too yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminded me a lot of um, Waters of Mars. <laughs> also directed by Graham Harper. Also directed by Graham Harper, <laughs> which was better done. I know, everybody dies. It's got the same ticking clock kind of sensation. It's got the uh, a large cast of characters who may or may not make it out, even though, well, in that one it's telegraphed. They're all going to die. This one it wasn't. It was kind of a surprise that, that nobody made it. Um, and well, this, that gal that turned uh, Morgan in. Morgan in. <laughs> yeah, she didn't die. Yeah, Miss Kisland. <laughs> I think I come down in between the two of you on this one. I agree with you, Glenn, on, on the direction... And I think the story is fairly solid, too. I think the story is solid, yes. It's What's different about this story as compared to anything else isn't the beginning where they land, because the, the doctor's curiosity always gets him mm-hmm. in trouble. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's, that's not any different than anything. The, the only thing that changes between this story and anything else the show has done before is there's nobody likable. That you hate everybody. That's the only difference to me. Well, I... I, I I can't really pick apart the pick apart the plot too much because it's I it's there but it's it's subdued and it's it's not over the top but it I don't think there are huge holes in it either because we're coming in on the last part of the story. Yeah, there's no holes. There's no big. There's no, no major holes to to rip it apart well, with. What was the, the act- beast? Okay, that part. Well, well I mean, I'm, I'm not even talking the costume design. I think that was one. Of, it was supposed to be the, one of the bats. My least favorite thing is the was the was it supposed design. to be one of the bats? Because I thought that or was something su- living in the caves. That the very suddenly, least. in my mind, would have become a much more interesting angle. If oh, the bats have all retreated into the, the, the bowels of the cave, and you have to milk them. Or what do they look like? And he shows a picture of that, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, that thing's been running loose, terrorizing everybody. I have to go up and milk that." I mean, that to me, all of a sudden, is like, "Whoa, okay, cool." No, it's just some random thing that was running around the cave. with the, oh, it was something that made it yeah, difficult. Super armadillo, and then it died. Well, <laughs> well I, I, had a bigger pro- I had a bigger problem with it until they showed it dead. And yeah. I was like, oh, good, they didn't just drop the storyline. <laughs> Lisa's dead. Yeah, <laughs> they gave us some sort of resolution, because other episodes wouldn't have done that. Uh, I don't like the design of it, but I did. That's just it. Then that well, we turns, know why you didn't like the design. The, well, yeah, that turns the heavy into the monster, and I didn't need the heavy in the monster. That's well, what I wanted was the character. The monster would have been likable. Of the, that's just it. Well, <laughs> that's not would have been likable, but <laughs> I wanted all of the. I wanted the monster to be the people, and that's what this does well. Is it makes everybody a monster in this? Everybody as. Uh, having their own personal motivations, no matter what it is. Jarek, his motivations is revenge. Um, uh, I'm saying his name wrong. Morgus? Morgus. Morgus. His motivation is power. I mean, it's just, I I, I love that. The the, um, uh, mercenary guy, the, the head mercenary guy, his motivation is greed. I mean, it's just that it's all of it's like it's like the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly They've sins all, all got lined those up. lined up, and I love the fact that the doctor, who whose only <laughs> uh, flaw is curiosity, which it isn't. You're exactly right. This that and is the same trope. It it is different because in every other Doctor Who story, he figures out a way to well, cheat 
and not cheat, but to cheat the situation, it to cheat death, get out of it. And this is, is we've saying. we've come from this this story arc of the fifth Doctor and his curiosity and how he's gotten away. I mean, the, the tragedy of the fifth Doctor is he has the Adric death in the middle of it. He's got he develops a, a wonderful relationship eventually with Tegan, and she ends up running off on him with uh, uh, running off on him because she's tired of the curious doctor putting them into a situation of peril and she finally gives up and gets away. I mean, she's done it twice, but she does. Ultimately, I think the second time is what hurt him the most is the fact yeah. that she left him the second time. Um, he's also had to endure the fact that he brought on a companion that ultimately was, was trying to kill him. So, I mean, it just, it's, it's really almost to me a nice bookend of, it's, it's, of how his tenure as the doctor really worked and how ultimately he sacrifices himself for somebody as nearly unimportant as Perry despite everything that he's gone through. I, I think it, 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 it makes the fifth Doctor so much better from an overall perspective. I've never really enjoyed... I mean, the fifth Doctor's fine, but I've never been wowed by the, the fifth Doctor until this story and to, to see the ultimate sacrifice that he gives up Regardless of everything else that's happened to him, I, it just—it's amazing. It's a—it's an amazing idea. It's an amazing concept, and I think it's part of it is because this is probably why Blink is my second favorite. It's so different for a Doctor Who story. It's not the same tropes. Don't get me wrong; I like my Doctor Who to feel familiar. But when they take and they they turn well, that's something, the thing with this one is it starts it starts it and does it's, it's that, and that's what I was saying. And then it goes differently. That's what I'm yeah, saying is I it does. It starts out with with the yeah the curiosity. It gets he does that every time. You're right. It's nothing different, but it becomes different. It's, it's, it becomes it's so tragically different. It's something they flirted with before with a lot of unlikable characters, only one or two, and then this one they just went all out with it and yeah. said, well, let's make them all unlikable and have to have this big tragedy, right? So what was you, you? You agreed with Glenn Sorry. Keith on? No, I, was, <laughs> I, I don't think it quite deserves as much praise as people keep on it. It's a great story. It's solid. It's not one I'm going to go back and watch a lot just because it's such a downer. <laughs> if I want a good depression, I'll go watch this maybe. Um, but it's. I didn't. I when I initially walked away from it, I was like, "Hmm, that was interesting." And it took me a while to percolate on it to appreciate it more and more. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't put it in the top ten, but it's not in the top bottom ten either. It's in the middle for me. Hmm. And I, I, can't, I don't know if I can fully explain why it is. I, part, of, part of my love of Who is having fun watching this show. This was not a fun episode to watch. It's a very well-directed story. It's a very solid story. It's a very emotional story, but it's not fun. I would agree. It's not a fun one to watch. And uh, what I what but I would I, what I would consider usually in my top ten is ones I have a lot of fun enjoying watching that are also good stories. Yeah, see, this is a good story, but I don't have fun watching it. I guess uh, maybe I like the ones with the moral issue. <laughs> maybe that's why I rec- recognize those as the best because Blink certainly has that. Genesis is very heavy in the whole. Yeah, uh, it's very moral morality uh, play of it all. And yet my top ten would include things like Morbius and <laughs> <laughs> Android Invasion, Invisible Enemy. Well, I mean, that's just, just it. The, that's those a fun are, story. Those like are fun well, there's, stories, there's a thing of doing the ten best and ten favorites. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. True too. Because, well, well, Kate Stewart would remain in my 
I think this would ten hit, favorites. There's probably a few that wouldn't. I think be this would probably fit best. my twenty best at least, but not my twenty favorite. Yeah. Well, confession time. Uh, I was totally pulling your leg. You were right. <laughs> I just wanted to have Chrissy throw things across her room, so I'm poking you the waited, bear. You waited too long, so nobody can believe you. No, I, I'm kidding. I, I really like. I wouldn't like this story. <laughs> of course, it doesn't go anywhere. It's Doctor Who. Of course, he runs and escapes. That's what we've covered for say, that's nothing 179 episodes of stuff. Is what we've covered. That, if I, that was true, I wouldn't have liked. Uh, what was the Pertwee one that was? The, <laughs> With the Ogrons and the yeah, uh, no, the, uh, were they, um, what was the name? Where they spent like a whole episode Frontier in jail? space. Frontier in space. Yeah, yeah. If, if this was the reason, I like. Of course, it's a fantastic episode. Yes, absolutely, it is great. Everything that you said, What's everything that, that you tragedy. said, I agree with. Everything that Eric said, I agree with. Everything that Chrissy said, I agree. With. This episode really has opened my eyes, and I think, quite honestly, this it's it's weird that this worked out this way that we paired these up. Almost within the time that we did, but um, uh, Fort, of Doomsday? Fort of Doomsday showing oh, yeah, the yeah. start off potential of the fifth doctor, which really is the fifth doctor's first story well, because yeah. he's he uh, spoilers, uh, it's shot out of order. In Log- well, in Legopolis, though, too, he's out of pocket for quite a while. Too. It's a regeneration story, yeah, it's, it's a regeneration story. It's, it's like Christmas Invasion, he's yeah, not really not there the for much right, of it. True right. episode. So, so to have Fort of Doomsday, where we see the start of the Fifth Doctor, and very quickly follow that up with Caves of Androzani, both stories I had not seen before, I think suddenly has now made me understand the Fifth Doctor's era. It's exactly what you said, that, that, that his boyish curiosity of just enjoying going about and traveling and doing his... I mean, we, we've had that Doctor all along, but the first Doctor was a little more devious almost about it, that, oh, I wonder what the Dalek's up to. Oh, I'm going to take the fluid link out and we're going to go find out. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, the, the second Doctor was too... Flippant about it. Flippant about it. The third Doctor was a little too serious about it. Well, and but the, th- the third Doctor is that, that anomaly who because he's he's he trapped didn't travel here. As much. He yeah. was looking for something. He's looking, do. yeah, yeah. And then he the fourth Doctor was, do. you know, <laughs> how to describe the fourth That's Doctor's the curiosity? That, yeah. I mean, it's such an it's a bit of a flippant, but it's not necessarily flippant. It's more of a privileged. I'm privileged. I'm to have privileged. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So the, the Fifth Doctor is the first time we get this particular variant of his curiosity. And to see him go through all these things, individually, don't they don't mean anything to me. They're just kind of a, eh, he's just this leaf blown in the wind that he goes, you know, where things take. And sometimes he impacts events and sometimes he doesn't. And I think that's why I've never really latched onto him. But now having these two stories under my belt, I suddenly get it that... This is who this guy is, and I think I needed these two stories before now. And I, I'm going to have. I will be very curious to see my reaction on every fifth Doctor it, it, story from this point out. It'd be we interesting. Don't have to, left. I know. Well, well it'd be interesting we've got to go the best though and watch opinion. them in order now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just yeah. well, even going back and seeing ones that I've already seen, yeah. but now with them within the framework the of this well, context, we've got two of the best coming up, in my opinion. Snake Dance and Kinder, two of my favorite. Yeah, uh, Doctor uh, Fifth Doctor stories. Always have been, but I, I mean, I agree with Keith that it's it's not a fun story to watch. It's definitely a downer. But even the, you know, it's how to describe this. Um, the movie Seven. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's a good there example. There you go. That's or, a terrific example. Or even uh, I would even go Requiem for a Dream. I haven't seen that one. So. 
Glenn doesn't like that one. But. <laughs> this with Robin Williams and no, 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 no that's, that's uh, Marlon Wayans. Uh, Jared what Leto. dreams may come? Oh, what dreams may come? This is the heroin movie. Oh, Jennifer, Jennifer Conley. I don't think I Darren Aronofsky directed it. I don't think it's oh, yeah. show that movie to Caitlin when she's eighteen. She'll never do drugs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, probably I better get it to her earlier then because I don't well, want to wait till 19. I don't know. There's some <laughs> stuff that might be a little too... But, you know, Seven is a brilliant film. It's got fantastic acting. It's got a super strong plot. It's got amazing directing. I own it. I have never seen it except for the first time we went to the theater and watched it. I own it because it's an important film and because it's so amazingly well crafted, and I can't bring myself to go back and rewatch it because it's disturbing and it's it's all of the things that deal with the plot element. Right. And in some ways, that's what Caves is. Caves is a superbly crafted story. Yeah. Everything about it is phenomenal, but the story itself is so not fun no, <laughs> that no, I, it's I don't. So hard to watch. It, I don't know. I don't know that I could go back and revisit this one very frequently. I mean, it had its moments that were so great and I could have played up a little bit longer with my hatred of it like the you know the president getting shoved out the why do you have a door on the side of the building where there's no lift that seems odd to me <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care I really that mine shaft old old man in mine old shaft. man in mine shaft sure we'll go with that <laughs> you know why yeah I don't care it was phenomenal everything about this story worked but it's just the story itself that's like, Ugh. but the tragedy story. I've been thinking how I was going to frame this all you know all weekend with this, and I, the tragedy story yeah, is that it's it Shakespeare. Is. It's it is. Yeah. that has yes, that is so well done. It's Shakespeare. It's so I, I totally think, Shakespeare. I think the tragedy I like the best of it is the doctor's. The fact that he is willing to sacrifice himself for his companion. Right. It's the doctor we always we've seen over and over again, willing to put himself in the harm's way, but right. never to this level. Right. Where he literally is in peril and doesn't know if he will regenerate from something like this. Right. That is what's excellent about this story. What I think is the best part, anyways. There's got to be a certain, well, flippancy about it. That being a Time Lord and having that ability, that eh, I'll just come back. I mean, yeah. <laughs> even though there's a limited finite number of them, it's like playing a video game. When you know you're going to respawn... You're a little more likely when to go ahead and run out into danger. When you get and to the near the end of your number, then you start conserving you, them you, more. You start right. to get a little more. But when you're in the beginning, you're just okay, whatever. You know, but it's it's interesting to see that that's almost the reverse here because you would and and that's one of the things that I love about the way the character works is you, you would think the earlier older doctors would be more flippant. Would well because it goes both ways because they're younger physically even though they look older so because he looks like an old man you would expect him to be reserved right. and he's yeah. not he's he's charging in and doing things right. that he shouldn't right. be but the reverse is here is peter davison he's this young guy he should be flippant and out there and doing stuff but instead he's very worried about yeah. how this is going to go and he's very old man about it right. and that's the great thing about the character yeah. is how you get that duality in there and, and get it to work that way um I, I think that was also one of the best regeneration scenes We've had in classic Who. <laughs> you, what, you don't think so? No, <laughs> I liked it. I really did. It's one of the best pre-regeneration scenes. Well, that's what I meant. The, 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 Peter laying there and going into it. Yes, 
And then, yeah. I'm not saying when Colin sits okay. up. I'm saying I, I he call was it, part I of it. I want to call it quote-unquote death scenes. Because once the camera goes fuzzy and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Colin sets up, that's... The that, first that, time that, I that saw it, I went, other wow. And then the subsequent times I've seen it, I've gone, Ugh, that just totally takes me out of this really heavy, impassioned moment that five just went through and now you set it up with a joke like we've got to quickly lighten the mood and that that's uh, that's not that's not that's not that's any different that's me. not any different than the one we got in the snowman we got this immensely long goodbye matt smith and then bam here's snowman? here's capaldi you mean, you mean or, time, uh, of the time of the doctor no time of the doctor where matt smith regenerated is that the name of it? Time yeah. of the Doctor, yeah. <laughs> the Snowman? The Christmas <laughs> episode. I, I, I don't think it's much different than the kidney line. That, that, that's yeah. a good that point. Was no, you've line, that was you've, got, you've got a great point there. Yeah. It's and no again, the first time that the I saw line. the first time I saw caves, <laughs> that didn't bother me. I was like, eh, okay. Haha, I kind of snickered. I've only seen Time of the Doctor. Well, I've seen it twice now, but I've only seen Time of the Doctor once. I mean, and the first time that, that happened, I thought, eh. The say on second and third and fourth view, I'm sure I'm going to go. It's a little. <laughs> I, I don't think it's any different from any other generation I've seen. I think the other thing to eleven. The other thing two. that bothers me. Legs, I've got legs. Yeah, the other thing that bothers me. Yeah, but we spent twenty minutes. <laughs> well, that was saying goodbye. That to was 10. a little. Uh, so we were I, ready I for ten to go. We spent an hour saying goodbye to Matt. He didn't want to go, but I was ready for him to get on. Um... No, but the, I think the difference is that that while the Capaldi scene is a joke to be made light, the Baker scene that just the the comment is almost yeah I, I like the idea that it's kind of foreshadowing of what we're going to see from Collins Doctor. It also is almost a wink at the camera, and that's where I think it goes a little too far. It's almost a uh, breaking the fourth wall. And just taking it a little too far. Whereas the Capaldi new the the Capaldi regeneration is into Capaldi is more of a okay now we're gonna start ramping up the excitement to get you ready for this next doctor. This one's more of a just winking and on not a minute too you just almost like it's almost a throwaway like you know it almost it almost de-relegates everything that the fifth doctor said did by saying in not a minute to so like like you guys were pretty tired of this and it's almost like the fans you didn't like five and you were ready to get on and move on and it just it's uh, there's a certain uh, there's a certain amount of arrogance well. I, to I, I it. I see a little bit on that final there's line. A, there's a I think the bigger difference is I see the arrogance to it, but I think it's it's, it's very much an oh it, it certainly is. Don't get me I wrong. Of, of all of the doctors, I to me Colin Baker is the one who's the most likely to deliver a James Bond-ish flippish line in an inappropriate situation. He would be the relative that you didn't necessarily invite to the funeral. I I, I completely (laughs) agree that it's in character with Six. It's just I don't like it because it comes right off of that moment into that character. That's what bothers me about it. It it seems inappropriate at the time. I think you don't like it because you're excited for Capaldi, and that's the difference. You, you're 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 ready for Capaldi, and you are. I wasn't. Big, I wasn't not ready. A big fan of Colin. I was not ready. Oh, I'm a huge fan of Colin. Huge fan of Colin. 
There's some television stories that I don't like, oh, but no. I love The Sixth Doctor. The Sixth Doctor has always been wonderful. I don't like Twin Dilemma. I don't like. But were you at the time you saw it? Oh yeah, absolutely. The first time? Well, no, the first time when I was a kid. No, I was. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what we were getting, and I think that's what I liked about it. Um, but six is where I fell off. That's where I quit watching Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Not, but not you've purposefully. Always, you've always it was come just down kind of on. I'm, I'm just talking television wise. Television wise, kind of come down on the negative side of most of his stories. Yes, the stories. Same thing with <laughs> the seventh Same Doctor. Thing with yeah. stuff. The stories are the weakest of all of Doctor Who. In six, now there's some stronger ones. Vengeance of Pharaohs, fantastic story. Um, Resurrection. Resurrection of Daleks, fantastic story. Uh, but Resurrection or Remembrance. Well, no, remember, oh, we no, but resurrection. Yeah, he was, he was pointing to both of those doctors okay. that I, yeah. Um, I can never remember the other two. <laughs> That's uh, how good remembrance is. Yeah, resurrection. <laughs> yeah. But there, no, there, and there's some good, but I've always liked Six's performance and everything, and except for, uh, I've never liked Six in some of the Trial of the Time Lord stories, but which I made obvious that I don't like Mind Lad, or my, uh, not Mind Lad, uh, Mind Warp. Mind Warp. But that's solely story, and I still think six. While out of character, <laughs> still comes off pretty good. Um, yeah, no. So oh, we're we're talking about a whole other a whole other <laughs> we're thing. We're saving that for next. We're going. Week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, quite frankly, I did not like six in Twin Dilemma the first time I saw it. I did not like him at all. You're not really supposed to. Almost. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> but yeah, I just that. I really look forward to seeing Twin Dilemma if it's as bad as everyone says it is. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling. You know what? <laughs> Ghostlight was not in that bottom ten. <laughs> yes. Ghostlight was not in that bottom ten. I just realized that. That's because, because everybody's existential masterpiece. That's because everybody's read the novelization and went, okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> existential masterpiece. Uh, it's like I Heart Huckabees. Oh, not a good movie. Have you read The Stranger? No, no I haven't read The Stranger. You have such odd taste. <laughs> I know, I do. just a few degrees off center. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I, okay. I have okay. odd taste, but you were just a little bit. I've gotten my mother in Doctor Who. She is in season six now. Oh, yay, she's trucking. Yeah. Um, I'm discussing with her how I want to introduce her to Classic Who. This is going to be a big challenge because she doesn't like the Daleks. She hates them. And she doesn't like the Cybermen. That's like two-thirds of the stories of classic people <laughs> thrown out the window. <laughs> Where do you start someone? At? I'm like, all right, I guess Santarans. Okay. <laughs> she liked the Santarans. <laughs> all right, let's wrap up our discussion about uh, caves. Is there anything else? I want more from Keith on why it's me- mediocre. <laughs> well, I, I, I just, because I hated it, and you loved it, and he was in the middle, and then I changed it, and I was like, no, I wasn't actually hating it. I, I, Chrissy, I, just, I, I seriously, I did that just to poke you with the bear, <laughs> with the stick. So. I think I it's just, don't think she, that would have bothered her, because I think she kind of has a love-hate relationship with oh, it. I'm I sure she would have liked that somebody hated it. Yeah, I think she might have liked that somebody <laughs> hated it. I would agree. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I don't know how to, how to put it into words that it's just... I think it's just the enjoyment factor of it. It was so un... It was well executed. It was well acted. It was a good story. It was just the enjoyment factor of it was just so somber and so depressing. Well, I'm kind of glad you gave us Fort Doomsday not too long ago because I, I agree that with was a what happy you accident. said. You know, I, I, I agree with what you said. Serendipity, that's what we well. do. But I also think that 
I, well, I saw most of Davison's when I finally discovered this story because I don't think I even saw this when I was very young. I think I saw this like on a second time around that, that the Fifth Doctor had been when they were getting ready to start Sixth Doctor stuff. So I didn't see it all of it, and I hadn't seen all of the Fifth Doctor in order even at that time because yeah. I would come in and see you know a couple weeks later so I'd miss a story here or there. But I think that ultimately what this comes down to is now having seen my, myself and my viewing over the years, having now seen everything in the Fifth Doctor's era and seen in everything relatively linearly, I think I appreciate Caves much more. And I think I kind of touched on that as to why I think it, it works so well when looking back over the era of the Fifth Doctor and how much he's had to endure and to still come out and do what he does Making that that sacrifice for somebody he barely knows at the time. I think I think something with the, with this sort of storytelling, I always come off of it as being kind of like, eh. but then as I as time passes and as I think about it more and more, I realize how much how awesome it really is. Well, you even did that sort of just since you watched it Friday and now because you said well, as yeah. you molded over, you yeah, and, and hearing it other people's thoughts of yeah. why they like it so much, it's kind of like, you know. Do you guys remember the first time you watched the wet wedding or the red wedding? Yeah, I've only watched it once. So. Well, okay, but <laughs> since then, yeah, how at least for me, I watched that and I was like, oh wow. And then as I think about it more and more, and the nuances of it come out to me more and more, I think the story and the episode is just, is better and better every time I see it, despite the tragedy in it. I think that's what Caves is going to be like. The more I think about it, the more I mull it over, the more it. It, I, it just seeps into my head and the more I see the nuances of the storytelling and what happens in it, I will like it more and more. Okay, I think Wed Reading is more just from the sheer audacity of what went down <laughs> versus you know... But, but, case, no, but, but, but there's, there's so much plot maneuvering in to that, that, that they set up in that story and in that episode to get you to that point that everyone looks at the big cliffhanger but nothing building up to it. And that's the difference. Yeah. Is you get distance from that ending and the tragedy of it, and you get over it, and then you start looking at the rest of it and you realize how solid that is leading up to it. Okay. I follow what you're saying. It's like seven. <laughs> <laughs> that really is a great analogy. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, that, I guess that, I have to go back and watch Red Wedding. I know that a lot. The more of, I thought I about it, it's just it maneuvered a bunch of stuff, and it was actually a clever way to stop having to write about one family, is what it looks like. Well, I mean, really, that's what well, it is. And even the purple it, wedding, it, there's it, so much nuance it, going into the purple it wedding. It felt like as we're getting into a whole other thing here, but it felt like as George R. R. Martin was writing these books, he went one direction and decided that he liked to write other characters better. And so we figured out a way how to be able to write <laughs> those characters more. Get rid of the ones that he's tired of writing. That's the way it feels. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. Because it, it changes the story. It changes the dynamic. And I had already started focusing on other characters that I liked as well as the story was going along. So I think he senses that as a, as a writer and a reader. And I think as a good writer he, does. Yeah, and I think he says, okay, well, here's one way that we can make this a really big epic event. So, But ultimately, still in the back of my mind, it's, See, it's, it's him saying... I'm going to shift this and go do something else with this, and I don't think it's something he had mapped out. So. I, see, I, I don't. I don't view it as much in the uh, what, uh, not what's, uh, Doyleist perspective 
Um, I'm viewing it more in the Holmesian perspective of in story, is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't think of those things when I think about no. the red light. <laughs> just our brains work differently. Yeah, that that's way. just it because it, it took me out of, it took me out of the story so much because it took me out of that traditional storytelling. It took me out of the story that I, my mind automatically went to. Okay, what's the author doing here? As opposed to what are the motives of the characters here? See, but I think it made sense for the motives of the characters too. Well, because it ended the war. And, well, it specifically, it changed. It who's, changed the pieces on the board. Know what? Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy, uh, Filch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the? What, what was ultimately the point for him? They haven't delivered upon that yet. That's a plot line that just might not have been picked up yet. Yeah, see, that's that hasn't been delivered upon. And when they do, well, then <laughs> I probably will be more satisfied with the resolution of that. But still, now I have to step back and go. That's the only only thing. The only way I can grasp the idea why you would do that to characters is because coming from a writer, it just it just it just reset the, the, the board with playing pieces because now the show's not well, what we the show's well, about what we didn't know it was exactly, about exactly because we as, thought as it was far about as he this. goes it also gives him a strategic a better strategic position and a good favor which quite frankly I was a little concerned with the purple wedding I didn't see it going the way that it went because I thought he was going to do it again with another character that oh. he had completely. That's the one that I had steered to, going. I'm not. I don't care about this family anymore. This is, I don't care whether this guy's good or bad. This is the character that I'm going to focus on. And about the time that I realized that, okay, I'm enjoying this story. Oh no, <laughs> you're going to do it again. <laughs> so anyway, we got. We got to we finish this show. It's, it's funny how much you guys tap dance around. <laughs> I think had I watched this I don't story, give that one away. possibly. No, Ten years ago, I would have loved it to pieces, and now it's just going to take me time to love it. How do you think this would have hit you if we had done it earlier in the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd have higher expectations of storytelling in the show. Because like we like, like, like we pointed out, there are that's a good there's point. not there's a good point. to pick apart in this story. It's a solid plot. There are no holes. I mean I've been saying all along for the last how long we've known this, two and a half years? Yeah. I've been saying all along that this is not the story you start anybody on. Yeah. I've true. always said this is the, the best story and everybody says, Well, you gotta find the best story to introduce a, a Fan to who because you want to keep them around. This is the stupidest story to do it with <laughs> because it's like such <laughs> exactly it's such a pinnacle well, story, and unlike anything else in Doctor Who, you can't do do that. I think it also wouldn't have had as. That's why you wouldn't start with something with Blink either. I, I think it also you you don't get the tragedy of it all if this is your first Fifth Doctor story either. Right, right. You need some of that previous Fifth right. Doctor stories to build that kind of arc. And I think that's a big difference, that, too. That's why we gave you Black Orchid and um, <laughs> Warriors wasn't of the that, Deep before we... Uh, was Black Orchid or Warriors my first fifth? Warriors was your first fifth. I think Warriors. Well, yeah, because we did the cellular Yeah, that's right. true. <laughs> that's why we start there. <laughs> what do you start with? I laughed. <laughs> we were doing that. <laughs> what do you start with? Caves Vader Zombie. What do you guys start with? The Merca. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fandom. To be fair, I saw the Silurians Let's show him the wobbly walls and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's an option for my mom. She did like the Silurians. <laughs> there you go. She probably... She did like Fear Her. Oh. This is the jeans I come from. 
All right, let's wrap up you here. Show her that list and say, Mom, just so you know, the one you really like, <laughs> second from the bottom. Of the list. I don't know if she. I expected her to go, oh, that story was horrible, but she liked the ideas in it. I don't know. Final wrap up thought. I don't know that I could put this as my number one classic Who story. Not talking favorite, but talking the yes. best of all the classic Who that I've seen. I don't know that. It's certainly top five. No doubt in my mind, top five. I just don't know that I could put it at number one. I don't know that I, I don't know what I would put at number one quite if you had to pin me down. So like, what's the do. best whatever? I don't know that I could do that. But well, that's like that's why I like to say this is the best classic Who story and Blink is the best new Who story. I like to be able to say that, although I hate the idea that we separate eras, even though it's clearly separated. Because but now it's also ultimately it's now when it when show. it comes down to it, I have to say yeah, Caves is the best, and Blink is second, but they could almost be interchangeable on that list. So I, that's why I, that's one of the times that I like to say, yeah, this is the best classic, this is the best news. I, I don't know if you could, honestly, even if you broke down any further and went just Fifth Doctor era, I don't know that I would necessarily say Caves is I, the I think pinnacle I, I think of that. I think I would put Caves at the top but, of the Fifth Doctor's era. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I would. I totally do, too. Followed by words. As far as story goes. Now, is it the best representation of Fifth Doctor? I don't no. know. I don't think it is. But is this the best uh, of that okay. era? Yeah, yes. I guess I guess I have to look yeah. at it that way. Because yeah. if, if we're pointing best representation, if I have I'm to introduce totally somebody to Although Doctor Who and give the best representation of Fifth Doctor. It's a great representation of the Fifth Doctor, but not a great representation of his era. Yeah. Yeah. Because this boils the Fifth Doctor down to every, <laughs> his basic elements. This is But it's not his era at boyous all. Boyous curiosity and Willing's de- willing to sacrifice himself for a nobody <laughs> at this point. I mean, when you when you looked at it from that point of view, he barely knew Perry. It was a beautiful death scene. <laughs> it is it's a beautiful death scene. I I, I, I will say that one hundred percent. It's the it's the post regeneration part. It's the post regeneration like. you don't like. that I just don't care. Perry sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Sean likes it. <laughs> I think Nicola Bryant was talking about on that bonus feature, didn't she? Yeah, she did mention that. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we got coming up on this schedule? Well, we're going to follow up in true Traveling the Vortex fashion with something completely unheard of for us. We're going to go chronologically. <laughs> we're going to do the Twin Dilemma next week for Friday Night Who oh, on June 6th. Colin Baker's first full outing as the Doctor. Now, if you come next week and spend half of the thing praising it, praising it, and then turn around and say, no, I really did hate it, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You heard that right. I will jump across this table and throttle you. (laughs) As long as you use jazz hands. (laughs) I want to see them wide and flying when they come at me. No, I, I think my I think I'm going to make it my goal to make you like this story next uh, week. That's going to be uh, it's going to be the next Love and Monsters. <laughs> you have or haven't seen Twindleman? I honestly don't remember. I read the novelization. Right. I can say that, so I know the story pretty well inside now because I think I've actually read the book twice. The novelization of it. Yeah, I know, but I don't know that I ever actually sat down and watched the episode. Okay. So it'll be it'll be. I don't know, my stroke addled brain, maybe I remember, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'll sit down and go, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I don't remember it. Um, Wait, that's not the book I read. That's not the book I read. <laughs> I had that really weird 
blue hardcover edition that had no picture on the front. Mm-hmm. So I really went into a blind. I had no idea what. You know. dust jacket on the outside. Yeah, no, just, nothing. Oh, just yeah. just a blue hardcover white lettering. The Twin Dilemma by Eric Sayward, I think, wrote the, the book yeah, on I that. Think you're right. I had no idea. What, I didn't even know what the doctor looked like, other than whatever description. <laughs> I mean, you know, because you, you, you judge a book by its cover. Right, you pick right, it up, right. you look, and you go, oh, this is such a... No, I had no idea. No idea. Um, and then for our show next week, number 180, we'll be doing The Twin Dilemma. And... Uh, the 50th anniversary ebook number six for Colin Baker, something borrowed because oh. we're starting our we're starting our June. I haven't read that yet. I hope it's better than the last. One. <laughs> uh, and then uh, briefly, just to give you a, 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 we'll have a few things we'll have to talk about post podcast. But uh, I'm thinking the following week we're going to do Enemy of the World, which will have just released on. A DVD here in the states by that time, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And so we'll do the first three parts. For Friday Night Who with Patrick Troughton. And then our show the following week, we're going to do two McGann audios. So we're going to do Something Inside. I've already listened to. And Memory Lane. So that's your homework assignment for that. And then we'll finish up Enemy of the World the following Friday Night Who and then review Enemy of the World and maybe talk a little bit more about lost episodes and stuff. So there's that. And I'll get uh, get it pinned down just a little bit more as we get further out. We've got a con that's coming up in here that we need to... Yeah. (laughs) We need to figure out those. So, is there anything else that we need to do other than I do want to mention? Please stick around after the show here. Um, Doctor Phil has sent us a uh, nice little insert for the end of the show, uh, and he has interviewed the uh, incidental music composer for this particular story, Caves of Adrazani, uh, Roger Lynn. So he'll have an interview with Roger Lynn after the. Uh, Credits here. I'm looking forward to that because it was interesting in incidental music. It was like there well, were times that it, it worked so, so well, yeah. and then other times I thought, "Where are you going with this?" But then the plot would turn around and then kind of reveal why they were right. Yeah, yeah. It, it all was like it was like a reason for. So, all right, very good. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. I'm Roger Lim. I worked at the Radiophonic Workshop for many years, and I was a composer on many Doctor Who stories. And you're listening to Adventures in Time, Space, and Music. Sure, I'm not the only person to say this, you know, I, I didn't really expect my music to be listened to 20, 30 years on in, in so much detail, you know. Do you think it's probably a testament to the quality of the work you, you guys did? Or do you think also it's has to do with the tenacity of fans who want to study every little aspect of the show? I guess myself included. <laughs> I hope it, I hope it's both because when you do work at a place like this, and uh, you know, I was a professional composer, and I tried to bring an element of professionalism to it. Um, I tried to do the best I could. I had a certain amount of musical knowledge and a, a knack for getting a score down. Um, I certainly hope that I never provided a second-class score, even though some of them are 
um, not quite as um, memorable as others. I think memorable is the word. I never, I hope I never sent anything away that was out of tune or inappropriate, either for Doctor Who or for any other uh, program. And but I should think 90% of the programs I worked on, I always got compliments from the producer or sometimes from the audience afterwards. When it comes to the, the other side of it, I mean, there, there are a cohort of let's call them fans of people who are interested in it and they like to talk to it just as you are talking to me at the moment about it and I'm very happy to talk about it and uh, reminisce about it I've, I've no I've nothing to hide I mean it's uh, it was a lot of fun doing it um, I couldn't wait to get into work you know I might, I might go to bed at night pondering a musical problem and just before I went to sleep I might say yes that's what I'll do I'll change that over that and I'll put that instrument there instead but and then I couldn't wait to get to the workshop the next morning to put it into practice yes I know I found the whole process um, enthralling and um, you know somebody said um, there was a, there was a song once called I hate Mondays but somebody did an, ad, uh, uh, an interview with me and the title of the um, interview was I love Mondays <laughs> well it must also be gratifying as a musician to be able to really passionately love the work you get to do sort of, um, I, I left with a good flourish with a couple of uh, good stories. Well, especially the last two you did, Caves of Androzani and Revelation of the Daleks, both of them are well-beloved stories. And, yeah. And, I mean, I'm, and, and please take this comment as a, as, a, as a compliment, but the score to Caves of Androzani is exceptionally bleak, which is perfectly appropriate to, that, to what goes on in that story. And, it's, and I just get goosebumps every time I hear the last cue at the end of the story. Like, what sorts of things for, say, that story stand out for you when you look back? Well, that particular sequence, it still brings uh, shivers up the spine, I think, when I hear it. it when the um, Peter Davison is t turning into the next Doctor Who. Uh, what they call it, not transmogrification, but trans-something or other. Oh, regeneration, yeah. Yeah, regeneration. Uh, you know, I, I did, I, well, I won't say I threw everything into it, but we've got those bleak, big drum booming away and voices chanting and a couple of the string chords which make it feel very poignant. Many people have said to me they find it terribly moving, that sequence. And uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of it. I still enjoy looking at it um, and, or even listening to it when it's in, without the music. Yes, I'm, I'm quite proud of that moment and it seemed to work pretty well. It feels different this time. <laughs> Many of your enemies would delight in your death, Doctor. You're needed. You mustn't die, Doctor. Many of your enemies would delight in your death, Doctor. You know that, Doctor. You know that, Doctor. Adric? You mustn't die, Doctor. No, my dear Doctor, you must die. Die, Doctor. Die, Doctor. Die, Doctor. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, 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 to sit down with me today. I'm really, really exciting to get to chat with you about some of my favorite scores in Doctor Who and, and um, hope that many of our listeners will also take, take a lot out of our chat as well. You know, for me, it was a, a great time in my life and I enjoyed it. But, um, you know, once the Doctor Who score was finished, it's on to the next one. 